My name is Napoleon Doom, and I am a podcaster and comic book artist, as well as an illustrator, and you are listening to the Just Conversation podcast. Warning, this program contains strong themes meant for a mature audience. Discretion is advised. Going live in 5, 4. What does live mean? Uh-huh. Welcome to the Just Conversation Podcast, the show where we ground humanity's most absurd and baffling ideas in childish ways. I'm your host, Jack. And I'm your host, Christina. And if you haven't yet, remember to hit that subscribe button to get notified the second new episodes are released. Before we jump into today's guest. You didn't jump into her? Yeah. Oh. And uh, it's going to be great. Jump into her and it's going to be great. But before we do that, we're going to listen to some... Uh, or read. I mean, if they wanted to talk to us, that'd be great. That way we wouldn't have to read them. But we're going to read these reviews because the people who... Uh, now, these reviews are made by... They worked hard on these reviews. Our listeners who, who, who sent us reviews on Apple Podcasts so that we can read them for you guys to enjoy and know that there are supporters and people who love this and maybe incentivize you to go and uh, review and comment and support us and share it. The more we get out there, the better. Luckily, lately, we've had a nice group of people coming through and regularly letting us know that they appreciate us. Join that group of people. Be part of the community of individuals that show their support. Yeah. Yes. Anyways, let's jump into some of these. Uh, we're going to read two of these uh, reviews that we have received from some of our lovely listeners. Whiskle Kayla had to subscribe. Well made, well thought out. The content and the host are both great. The topics they discuss are relevant and you learn while being entertained. My favorite way to learn. Love the host. Definitely. I think one of the things people don't know necessarily by listening to this show uh just a random clip or random moment is we are definitely absurd there's no question about it yeah but Mm -hmm. you do leave with something if you come looking for something if you come to learn you leave having learned because we're not just rambling nonsense we're rambling it's just not nonsense and it might sound like nonsense nonsense, it definitely sounds like nonsense but it doesn't mean it is nonsense don't Mm -hmm. judge a book by its cover i mean obviously judge a book by its cover because how else are you going to know what you're reading? Read the summary. That's kind of the cover. That's in the back, isn't it? Or the inside fold thing? I don't know. All of that? I guess that, yeah, that's all the cover. It's okay. <laughs> all the cover. You can only judge a book by its cover. I guess. Yes. Yes. Sadly. For the size. Like, I don't want to read this thousand page book. Fair sucks. enough. Some books suck, like Moby Dick. Nice cover, but if it was a short story, I guess that would be tolerable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. Um, Indiana Peabody. Outside the box. Love the insight. No topic is off limits. It's refreshing to hear them touch base on so many taboo topics. The insight is out of this world and delivered in a fun back and forth banter. Love the hypothetical situation episodes. Those are fun. They are definitely outside the box thinkers, showing the bigger picture in a relatable manner great show hell yeah thank you very much for that that is what we're doing we're showing the bigger picture in a relatable manner in absurd contexts and those those um hypothetical situations are pretty fun yes those are the best situations i mean sometimes they get really dark yeah but you know what 
that's how we know where our discomforts are. And then we get we get to ask, why are we uncomfortable with this? Mm-hmm. Because that is a huge problem that we don't that we have in society. We don't face our, our discomfort. We, we sort of want to establish that wherever I'm comfortable is where I'm staying. And that means just whatever's normal, I'm okay with. And anything that's not my definition of normal makes me uncomfortable. And thus, I want to get rid of it. Which, ironically, is what we talk about in today's episode. With Napoleon Doom. Yes, Napoleon Doom is our guest, and she is a podcaster, she is an artist, she is a writer, she is a renaissance lady. Oh, yeah. Who is very, very interesting, and probably one of our more talkative guests. She was definitely very engaging and very engaged. That is so refreshing to come by, to have somebody just engage at a very high active energy level where she's just like is she's like dave when yeah. dave is on the show he's yeah. just all in so she in. came in here all in mm-hmm. i appreciate that a lot whoa those are two very those are our <laughs> highest peaking extroverts followed by ish what about you do you count in this list because you'd be number one right i think I, I i all jokes aside you'd be second to dave no i think i'm tied with dave and napoleon doom mm. yeah Anyways, Napoleon Doom, this lady is fascinating. Uh, she is, uh, again, a podcaster. She runs a podcast from the depths of hell. Awesome. Yep. And, oh, uh, you visited her in hell, didn't you? Yeah, I took a trip down there. Awesome. Took a trip down there, sat down with her, had a conversation with her in there, and you guys get to hear that. If you can you, you can go to uh, Umind Podcast and uh, hear that, you can find that at uh, the Umind.com. But check this out first. You can mm-hmm. hear this lady have a uh, fascinating insight. She has life experiences to share and just uh, an exciting person all around. A very fun conversation to have, and it had quite some range, but it, it focused on the majority of the time the weird state that society is currently in which is we have a problem with things that aren't our own definition of normal yeah we judge way too much we judge all the fucking time it's like we can't even stop we're stuck in a fucking judgment loop in a judgment loop in a judgment loop loop. oh my gosh yep we're stuck in a loop there's nothing we can fucking do about it Mm -hmm. there is we're just unwilling to do the things which are basically be uncomfortable until you understand Yes, that is Deal with discomfort until you're comfortable around that. Yeah, be open-minded. That is so difficult. And it's entirely today's youth. Like, yes, they have to move us forward, but, like, it's a pendulum. You have to take some steps back first. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. We made some steps forward. We we took three forward, now we got to take two back. Yeah, it's and then we take another like three forward, uh, two more back. It's it is what it is. We have to deal with. Sadly, we got to deal with the bad to get to the good. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is definitely one of those situations. And society is on that forever. And uh, this conversation definitely embodies what it is to deal with those things. What it is to deal with differences? What it is to have a uh, art censored? That's a big one that's happening lately. Yes. Everybody wants to fix what the... No, it's my vision. No, fuck you. You're it's the, the artist. artist's vision. Yeah. But it's the way I want. Nope. It'll never be. You will never be this important. But you'll think you are, because why the fuck not? Because you're paying for it? I don't know. You don't have to. You don't have to. No. Nobody's making you do shit. Yeah. But you want to make somebody do something. Mm-hmm. That's no, fucking that's crazy. So awful. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, what do you think of this conversation? 
I think it went really good. It was really interesting. Yes, yes. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with Napoleon Doom of the You Mind podcast, of the Creeping Wave podcast, of the Lost Bread comics, and uh, so many other things. Yes, and um, check out shadesofpinkfoundation.org. Yes, let's jump into this. Okay. Enjoy and hi. hi! Do you know? Do you know what the problem is? What is my husband has been watching all these documentaries, and I pick up accents very easily. Right. And um, yeah, he's been watching all these documentaries on England in the Saxon times in the medieval history of England, and I spent the earlier part of my collegiate career. Um, studying that, so I, I um, studying the early medieval period, the period after Rome left uh, England and uh, the the war between the Saxons and the the Danes and that kind of thing. And uh, he's been watching nonstop documentaries on that because he has discovered Lost Kingdom, which is this TV series by Bernard Cornwall, which is supposed to be the competitor to Game of Thrones. But uh, because it's actually historical and doesn't have, like, magical elements and dragons and shadow creatures coming out of women's vaginas and stuff like that, it's not quite as exciting. But I pick up accents, like, really easily. Yeah. <laughs> and it's always always been a problem for me. When I was a kid, actually, um, I had this issue because um, Nickelodeon was on TV, but at the time, uh, I was born in 1980, so we're talking, like, very early 80s. Um, at the time, a lot of Nickelodeon's content was like Danger Mouse and a lot of British cartoons, a lot of Canadian shows like um, You Can't Do That on Television. So I would uh, sort of vacillate between having this like heavy Canadian accent and heavy British accent as like a four and five year old child. And my parents were like really annoyed by that because we'd be out for dinner. I'd be like, Mother, I think that I think I I'd like to have more breadsticks, if that's not a problem for you. And then they'd be like, you're not British. Stop doing that. But wow. I, I like would pick it up from the shows that I was watching. And uh, it, it's very silly. So that's honestly what that is. <laughs> See, not, I, I have I, no judgments on that because on a regular <laughs> basis, I'm usually shuffling through accents myself for the sake of it. Yeah, throughout the day, yeah. I'll be making 800 million different accents. Just entertain myself. Oh my God. So I'll usually be shifting back and forth. I'll make typical, like, <laughs> southerner accents and do British accents and do, like, German accents or whatever. I'm just always jumping in and out. I find it highly entertaining. It's uh, yeah the nuance of yeah. how individuals sound and the fact that anybody thinks any... Any sound that you should make is right or wrong, I find completely absurd because I, I believe yeah. not just how you enunciate or pronounce the word, but also how you use language itself is subject to the person. So language Absolutely. isn't a set of rules, but rather what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I find it so funny that uh, in America, we always sort of turn to like, the British people are like, clearly our intellectual superiors and everything they say is just to be like, listened to and just devoured and oh my goodness. But uh, so many British people I've known have been such <laughs> goofballs and silly creatures that, um, and uh, it, it's just very funny to me that it the accent 
speaks so much to like, you know, oh goodness, you're so educated and you're so erudite. And it's like, well, no, you're just a person who came from this location. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I and don't understand why yeah. uh, it's uh, it's specifically in films and things. If you're intelligent, you're also you, you happen to have a British accent for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's like uh, the Are evil villains who uh, yes, yeah. there you go. The evil <laughs> villains always have a British accent. Yeah, even even when they're supposed to be Nazis, like we have so many British Nazis. If you watch oh, films and stuff like that, yes. and you're just like. But but you you shouldn't be British, should you? They were the allies, but yeah, that's yeah. The, the, I, see, yeah. I, I like to say this thing about media, which is they don't know anything. Everything they ever portray is very very wrong. Specifically, if you think of uh, how they portray just normal everyday activities in yeah. uh, in films, think of a, a person driving a car in a movie. They're always doing mm-hmm. that kind of fake, consistent moving of the steering wheel. Like, what the hell are you doing? You're going to crash if you keep doing that. Yeah, stop that. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, it's ridiculous. So it's, but it's, they it's, don't it's really silly. know yeah. what's going on. So they, they, I guess we also can't judge that because it makes sense that they're going to do whatever's most familiar to somebody. Whatever you can yeah. most easily convey the message you're trying to get to without a long exposure of this is why he's from this country and whatever and blah blah blah. You could just be like people already think British is evil. You know, let's just give him a freaking yeah. British accent. They're like, when they hear his voice, they know inherently he's the bad guy. Yeah. I've wondered about that too because like, I mean, does it like stem from the Revolutionary War or... Is it uh, is it is it something deeper that we just assume that they're more intelligent because they they sort of invented the language and we're sort of coming in on the back end and that kind of thing and it, it, is it just like our kind of insecurity with our own? Kind uh, well, of- that's actually really complicated. I think that is a version of uh, systemic control. So the same way that there's sort of the systemic control that's established on race, uh, if we take Mm -hmm. it a little bit further, there's the societal equivalent. Because I disapprove of how, uh, sadly, the black culture abuses the term systemic. The same way that, like, gays stole a bunch of terms and they're like, well, they mean us. No, they, they go deeper than that. Right now, they're applicable to you, but it doesn't mean it's just yours. In the case of mm-hmm. systemic abuse, it's not just the way the laws in the United States are established for the black communities, but if you look at other countries, black people are the ones enslaving their own. It's not systemic racism, it's a systemic control system. And it's sort right. of reaching way further than the racism that exists within the country, rather the control that like England kind of has over a lot of the world that big, we give everybody freedom, but if you disobey us, we just take it away. And that kind of, yeah. ultimately, there's this evil control in the background, puts us in the mindset that, oh, if you're British, you're evil because you're the overlord or whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. And then you can abuse that general thought to make a bunch of other things happen. And then at the same time, you have something um, that I think it's called coded homosexuality. Is uh, like with characters like Jeremy Irons as Scar from The Lion King. Um, like he has uh, these little hand gestures and stuff that he does, and he's like, <laughs> "Oh my goodness!" and that kind of thing. And he does oh, these very shit, I never quirky British that. kind of things. And uh, they, there's a lot of characters that they talk about in Disney films as being coded for homosexuality. Like Ursula was based on Divine. If you're familiar with Hairspray, the mother from Hairspray, uh, Edna, and um, who was a drag queen. 
and um, they they talk about um, that a lot of the Disney villains are coded for being homosexual, and a lot of the animators who were working for Disney uh, were actually homosexuals because Disney was one of the first companies that recognized a homosexual union as being like an actual you know, union as far as insurance. And so if you get sent to the hospital, you know, your significant other, even though you don't have a legal union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You consider that person to be. And so there's there's all these characters like, oh, I see a picture of um him from uh, Powerpuff Girls and Elsa, of course. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. Yo, I totally forgot about him. That is sort of the perfect example of that. And he has this sort of heavy accent as well, doesn't he? He's the perfect portrayal of that. It's like, hey, guys and that kind of thing and he's very um coded for being like you know effeminate and oh i'm effeminate to british oh james i see a picture of james right there see james (laughs) is immediately who i who i thought of originally when you were saying that i'm like who has this Mm -hmm. sort of offbeat british accent and has sort of feminine qualities but is supposed to be this sort of powerful male figure and james is probably Mm -hmm. the most prominent specifically because he's in uh he's in a child's cartoon yeah, Pokemon. Yeah. Know? Same thing with uh, uh, him, him in Powerpuff Girls. That's just a child's cartoon. Yeah, yeah. But they're kind of coded in uh, this kind of character characterization that we've assigned to like, oh, you know, they're queer coded and that kind of thing. And it's like, but but why? What about that is gay? Because not everyone in England is gay or that, that would really, you know, really hurt the population of England if that was the case. But uh, it's, you know. There's a, there's very interesting things as far as that goes. Yeah, the the human psychology is strange as a whole because you can again, it's just in in the defense of media itself, they're using whatever easiest thought conveys the message they're trying mm-hmm. to get to. But in doing so, they're taking sort of the cheap route, and what they're doing is yeah. further enforcing the stereotype. So it's sort of a double edged sword. Exactly. Yeah, I think what I would equate it to is um, I have a niece who is uh, less than a year old, and she did this symbol to me, which in sign language is T. And uh, when I was working in special education, when you sign the letter T, you're signing for toilet because it's the easiest, most simplistic symbol for I need to go to the bathroom, which is very pertinent when you're teaching a class, you know? Yeah. And so, of course... So they're signing T, T, T. And my niece is signing that to me, and she's less than a year old. And I'm like, well, of course, you don't know what you're doing. But at the same time, I'm like, should I change your diaper? Is there something in you that, like, is... And and we accept that these symbols mean something when the truth is, like, it, it doesn't mean anything. It's implied upon us. But uh, it's... <laughs> well, then, that brings up an interesting point, because how long would this exact same behavior take place? How long can it be done and how many generations can do it before somebody uh, has it, genetically speaking, before it's got done through so many different generations that it's inherent in the species as a whole that somebody does that just naturally, the same way we're programmed to fear some things or find some things humorous. How long before that is just normal and the child does sign that thing thinking bathroom even if they don't know they're doing it exactly they're just doing it because bathroom yeah it's uh kind of like uh, are you familiar with the nematode experiments the nematode experiments that sounds fascinating yeah. nematodes are a very uh simplistic organism they're a worm 
Um, and they found that, and, and it was proved later to not be the case, but they found that if they take the nematodes and they uh, ground them up and fed them to the second generation of nematodes, that the memories of the nematodes who were trained to go through mazes would transfer be over. given to the, the next generation of nematodes. What? And they were found that, like, no, that's not the case. It's just the mazes were much too simplistic, and the nematodes were figuring it out. But um, they, they, for a very long time in psychology, which was my major in college, so we're talking uh, 2004 through 2006, because I'm quite old, <laughs> they were believing that uh, these nematodes were capable of consuming their previous generation and eating the memories. And uh, this was kind of just accepted science at a certain point in psychology that uh, they were like, oh, well, if the nematodes eat their parents, then they, they learn all the information that needs to be known from the nematodes. So, uh, see, like, that goes no, to no, show no, how little we know about anything, though. They're like, half of yeah. everything we know is a, like an assumption. Maybe more, more than half of anything I, we ever know is an assumption. And even the things we think we know are just assumptions that we've made, yeah. that we've sort of kind of proven, but then we got to question what proof itself is. Mm-hmm. So it's that's like, uh, exactly, it's not yeah. a surprise that we would consider that. I mean, ultimately, that's how science works. We'll say something is right. And then some guy with a better plan comes through and he's like, this is why it's wrong. And then we think that guy's right because he proved it wrong. And we follow that yeah. guy until he's proven wrong. And it just goes in that well, cycle forever. I'm... Exactly. Well, that's why peer review in science is so incredibly important is because uh, if we don't have peer review, on uh, certain ideas that we come out with and say like, oh, we did this experiment and we've decided that A, B, C, and D equals E. And then other people are like, no, 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 no. You're, you're totally miscounting for this variable that came in and that variable that came in. And that's why peer review is so important. And we're almost reaching a point where um, with certain studies, people are... They they don't want to deal with, like, all the messiness of, uh, <laughs> like, oh, these variables coming in are just too much, too much to deal with. Like, these variables, we don't want to have to deal with them. That um, uh, when I was, uh, when I was very seriously studying psychology was uh, 2004 through 2006, and uh, that's what I thought my career was going to be. I thought I was going to work with special education. Yeah. And um, a lot of the stuff that we were researching at that point, at at this point in time would be considered almost ableist. What we're saying like, oh, autistic people believe A, B, C, and D. Autistic people think, uh, autistic people think A, B, C, and the autistic people always believe this and always believe that. And this is how autistic people think. And it's like now that autism has become so prevalent and there's so many people coming out saying like, you know, I have Asperger's disorder and I have, um, I'm on the spectrum, but I'm not the same as these people that you're teaching. Um, and uh, now that we've come out with this, that a lot of the studies that I was participating in would have been considered like really ableist and really uh, vicious. Uh, just saying that everybody See, thinks this. Ultimately, even know? specifically with autism, actually, uh, there's such a mm-hmm. broken system of studies that are taking place because of that. We, we try to sort of categorize anything abnormal as problematic. And mm-hmm. uh, in, in making quick judgment calls like that, we do end up with these sort of 
even if we can prove the points we're trying to make, we began with the wrong question to start with. So the answers themselves were always wrong. And autism is one of those giant problems where it's like we're comparing it to uh, like mental retardation and Asperger's and all these things to the point that sometimes these uh, uh, learning deficiencies are categorized as part of autism. Mm -hmm. And people never really think about the developmental process behind autism, which is the, the, the way the brain itself is formed and grows. It just so hap it's not really a disorder. But people don't know that. People don't have access to this information. Right. People think it's a disorder rather than the one percent that develops brain in an atypical way. People think there's right. neurotypical and then there's disorder. No, there's neurotypical that can have any of those disorders, and there's autistic that can have any of those disorders. But it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily need to have this crazy amount of other things categorized as it because anyone in any type of brain development can be susceptible to have these other things that are unrelated. And I think that when I was uh, working in that field, it was helpful to think of it as more, it's an umbrella, you know, it's an umbrella that encompasses many different types of thought processes and that are not necessarily bad thought processes. That are thought processes that we need to accept and we need to be like, okay, well, you think this way and you need to observe more than you need to interact and you're not so much on the social kind of spectrum and you don't take value from that. But uh, I think we've kind of fallen into a culture where and uh, the Internet in some ways has sort of aided with this where uh, we've fallen into a culture where it's very socially driven. It's very much people who desire the reinforcement of other people, who desire the reinforcement of their peers, who who want to be like told, like, you're doing this right, you're doing this good, we like the way that you're doing this. And then when you have people who don't, like uh, Jane Austen is one of the people who frequently comes up as being possibly Who's autistic. Jane Austen? And it's like, you can't possibly prove that she was autistic. And uh, one of the things that they talk about a lot is uh, Jane Austen, did she have lovers? Did she do this? Did she do A, B, C, and D? And one of the things that, that comes up is kind of like, well, why why are we so curious as to what she did, like sexually or romantically and that kind of thing? A lot of it's because she wrote romances and that kind of thing. But do we really think that somebody has to live a situation to write about it? Or that they, you know, their imagination can be strong enough to experience it themselves. But um, one of the the big things that they talk about is the fact that she describes herself as, um, in the, I believe, the the book Pride and Prejudice, there's the daughters um, Elizabeth and uh, Jane. And she describes herself as being more Jane, where she sits in the background and she observes and she watches people and she experiences people. And she doesn't really engage until she's very certain of what these people are going to be contributing to the conversation. And she wants to, she doesn't want to make an ass of herself, really, is what she's saying. Yeah. Um, but people take that in nowadays. They, 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 they take that and they say like, oh, well, see, you see, that's an autistic person. That's an autistic person. She's observing and she's not interacting. And, uh, Jeremy Bentham, who's a, another, um, a biologist who who uh, did a lot of things um, that uh, he he actually had his head preserved 
and I can't remember which college it's preserved at, but um, they, they talk about him being autistic as well, and it's like, no, 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 no. It's <laughs> just somebody who has, like, this curiosity, but doesn't necessarily have the desire to engage on a social level with these people, and I think that's always what, um, uh, you know, artists like Rembrandt or artists like um, Bosch or things like that. Yeah, they, yeah. They've always a had... lot of the time, uh, we want to project whatever we would do in any given situation and say that yeah. that's the normal, that's the okay, that's the uh, the state everyone else should be in, and anybody else who doesn't follow that sort of set of guidelines it has problems of some sort so like sitting back mm -hmm. and being uh, perceptive it, yeah. not only is it not exclusive to somebody with atypical uh condition and brain developments but it's like a whole half of the normal pop well, less than half but that that would that's where the problem comes in it being less than half of people who perceive and then engage creates this sort of anomaly where it's yeah. uh, just a strange thing that people don't normally do. Who thinks before they do anything, you know? And that mm -hmm. behavior is so alien to us that we will categorize that as whatever the fuck. But it's actually a very normal, common uh, behavior in one, a small percent of the normal neurotypical uh, population. But when it comes well, yeah. to uh, the atypical population, because all the primary... Uh, senses and functions of the neurotypical brain are secondary and all the secondary functions of the neurotypical brains are primary in the atypical brain the individual right. just sits back and gathers sort of emotional information and physical information and environmental information that the normal neurotypical individual is sort of going to discard because the world was created for the neurotypical brain to navigate they don't feel the need to sort of gather information i already know how this world works it was made for me and so because of that we just assume that anybody who isn't functioning has a problem and that's crazy yeah. to me because we made the world so that people with a with an atypical development would struggle because we're not considering them in the it's like the, the best example i like to use for this is uh if there were right-handed scissors and just mm -hmm. right-handed scissors and the world was completely made of right-handed scissors and Everybody in the world was right-handed, and then we made someone left-handed use that scissor, and they had a little difficulty, and we're like, well, you got problems. Yeah, yeah, exactly, but they, they don't have problems. They don't have problems. They're it's just, just fucking right-handed scissors. Make him some left-handed scissors and let him use them since he's young the way all the right-handed people got to do with their scissors, and they'll develop perfectly fine. It's the same thing, but mm -hmm. we're expecting the atypical, the left-handed person, to... One, never have a pair of left-handed scissors and then perform at the same degree that somebody who's had right-handed scissors since they were young and is right-handed simultaneously to perform. And it's like, you made the world right-handed. Why the hell do you yeah. expect this person to behave the same way you do when you prevented them from having access to the same resources for their type of development? I think that's a lot of the reason when I was younger uh, that I went into um, working with special education and that kind of thing is because I felt a real affinity for those kind of people because I was that kind of a person when I was younger. Everybody was like, oh, well, there's a reason why you think this way. Why don't you just shut up and let us show you the way, which is gaslighting. 
you know, <laughs> essentially like telling me that I'm crazy and I don't understand what's going on in the world and that if I just follow your example, I can be, you know, so much benefited by society. And I think that a lot of the reason when I was younger that I went into that was because I was like just very idealistic and thinking like, I can change this for people. I can make it different for people. And uh, I, I I don't know that you can, but I think that we, we were coming steps, leaps and bounds from where I was when I was working. Yeah, we're uh, moving the... forward at flying rates. The problem yes. is when you start at zero and the increment of change is point zero 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 one. even if you multiply yes. that by two every time you make a jump, like it's crazy from where you were, but compared to what the 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 undertaking you're going through is going to be it's sort of uh insignificant considering specifically with something like autism it is less than one percent of the population that's born with this normal brain development that's atypical but you gotta overcome the 99 percent of the rest of the population to sort of make it easier for the atypical person Right, right. And it's just like, you know, if, if we had, uh, if we exhibited that kind of a patience and that kind of like, okay, look, this is what you need. You need me to be a little more patient with you. You need me to listen to you, that kind of thing. If we exhibited that kind of a behavior as a society, but we do not. <laughs> yeah, we don't have the and, patience uh, for anything that is not already us. And, uh, but, but somebody must be falling in love with these autistic individuals because it's it's been shown to be and and 10 years down the line this might be shown to be absolutely bullshit but uh, it's been shown to be you know um it is genetic so somebody's falling in love with these people there's something that these people are contributing to society that we want to keep within the society because we keep making babies and um so so somebody down the line like, uh, falls in love with this kind of, like, a persona, this kind of, like, extreme brutal truth, and this kind of weird hyper-honesty. Here's and, the uh, thing. The problem yeah. is when somebody is exposed to the right type of people and the right type of information, and it's uh, uh, explained and elaborated on in the proper way, some of these people will develop in ways that make them indistinguishable from the neurotypical because they had access Absolutely. to the resources that allow them to sort of function in society completely normal. And yeah. then those people blend in and have children, but that's not even to say that their characteristics aren't already present in somebody who's neurotypical because right, there's right. just people who are naturally blunt and people who are just uh hyper emotional and people who do have sensory disorders and things of mm -hmm. those natures that are just natural characteristics of someone atypical maybe a disorder in somebody neurotypical or yeah. and and it's just it's weird but it's such a heavy amount of lines crossing between both sides that of mm -hmm. course uh, neurotypicals can fall in love with atypicals and vice versa and it's it's sad that we need them to resemble something we're familiar with rather than yeah. exploring the differences in one another just experience like a person for who they are <laughs> yes yes that seems to be yeah. humanity's most uh the biggest obstacle is if you're not already me i don't want to be around you yeah, and, and it's just the extended tribalism 
And um, it, it's not that we can't overcome that. It's just that we're kind of fed these ideas that we shouldn't have to, that these people are gross and yucky and awful. And why would we want to engage with somebody who does A, B, C, and D? And uh, it's just like, well, you know, may, maybe there's maybe there's something to be learned there. Maybe there's something maybe to be learned. Yes. We have yeah. to. Here's the thing that blows my mind about people in general. If you already don't have their opinion, then there is a second set of opinions. By default, there's yes. there's a second set of opinions. Maybe, you know, learn a thing. But no, they're like, no, 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 I'm good where I am. But it's like, you're not complete, though, because the fact that there's contrary opinion proves you only have, if at all, you have maximum half of the situation. Yeah. But we, we stop there. We're like, not half is good. It's like half. That's like a F. That's an F. Yeah. That's not even like 60%. You're still at D. We're so happy with the bare minimum. It's, it's very silly. I was, um, I, uh, I, I texted you earlier about the, the fact that I don't have access to my phone right now, which I wouldn't have thought of as being as crippling as it was because I don't really think of myself as the kind of person who's like married to their phone and ABC, you know? And, um, but then I'm just like, uh, trying to contact all the people that I need to get in touch with. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, I don't know these people's numbers by heart. And I know my mom's number by heart, but I don't know anybody else's. And this is terrible. So I'm calling my mom and saying, like, Mom, I don't have access to my phone. Please let the kids know. Please let everybody know that I, I can't show up for the soccer game. I bet I your mom has every number memorized, though. Right. And she has the numbers accessed through her phone. But I, I don't have that at this moment. And I'm just like, you know, circa like 2001, I knew everybody I knew is phone number and birthday and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, we're all and becoming idiots over time. It. Don't yeah. worry about it. It's it's universal. We're all being... Yeah. Uh, it's, things are so easy now that uh -huh. we're just... But here's the thing. This is where I will argue this point. I would yeah. say things like phone numbers and stuff like that. That information is a thing of the past because it's not a necessity for us to know it unless like the power grid went off and then what the hell would we even use right. that memory for? But in in... Losing these things, we have access to more abstract and nuanced information because everything isn't just a solid factual and uh, we, we can reflect more and we can think more and we have more to the point that we're in a society right now that's questioning the morality of everything. Yeah. We've entered a, phil an, a new philosophical renaissance because we're not obligated to just use all our mental energy on memory. What's really interesting about that is uh, if you're a reader of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the Sherlock Holmes series, and I know Sherlock Holmes had a moment with Benedict Cumberbatch, and I'm not going to deny that I'm a Cumberbitch, and uh, <laughs> I, I adore that series. But um, what I, I was a big fan of the series before that it actually became a, a television series. Um, and he talks about um, having this finite amount of information having uh, there's only so much storage that the human brain can accept and if things are not relevant to my existence if things are not relevant to my life i have to discard them 
so I can make room for new things that are coming in. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're and, talking about. In the show, he sacrificed yeah. um, all astronomy. Yeah, yeah, and he doesn't know that the sun, the Earth goes around the sun and things like that. <laughs> and and that's actually from the book series. He they they do say that in the book series because my ex boyfriend uh, would talk about stuff like that. Like, oh God, you're so like completely eggheaded. You don't understand that a blah 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 and that kind of thing. And I was just like. Why would I? I work in, you know, graphic design and editing. Why would I? Well, care I actually about? completely uh, agree and sort of yeah. live by that. I myself am a pretty big fan of Sherlock Holmes, and uh, one of yeah. specifically the two things I take from that the most are one, I uh, the Mind Palace. I used to actually literally try yeah. to train to have his equivalent of the Mind Palace, but then I realized that everyone has their own visualization process. Sure. And mine turned out to just be lists. Like if I wrote a list yeah. in a notebook, no, number one and two and three and four, so I picture everything like that and it allows me to have access to anything but the 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 other thing is the fact that our information is sort of finite and we only have access now i don't take it as literally as it happens there what is like he has to sacrifice an entire area but rather the speed at which we learn is a how do we put it like if you're trying to download something that you have a certain amount of internet power that you can access thing your high speed internet can only download at a certain rate you can improve your internet but you have to train to learn more easily and you have to make more brain connections and uh, have more neural pathways activated to different random loose sets of information so that you can grasp things quicker and sooner and faster and learn more absolutely but there's always even if it's more than it was before you're, it doesn't mean you didn't push your limit up. There's still a limit. It's just higher up. Mm -hmm. Now you, you take longer to get there, but it's still there. And like we were talking about with the accents before, uh, my husband is, is going through this thing because of the TV series Lost Kingdom, which deals with the Saxons and the Danes and uh, this early medieval kind of period. Um, and when I was in college, kind of my early collegiate career, I thought I was going to delve into history, like early medieval history. Until I realized that there really wasn't a, um, a career path for that. <laughs> so I was, I was really heavily into that. And then watching him rediscover this, and I'm 39, so I'm almost in my 40s, and watching him rediscover all of this, and uh, just saying like, oh my god, like if you had caught me when I was 26 years old, I would have been like, actually, King Alfred did blah, 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 blah. But now I'm just like watching this and going like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. He did this and he did that. And he conquered this and he conquered that and that kind of thing. And because you have to dismiss certain uh, bits of information because they're not relevant to your existence anymore. I work in, you know, design and editing and stuff like that. And what I used to know when I was uh, kind of geared gearing myself on the tra trajectory towards becoming a, um, you know, curator for a museum or something like that, uh, for art history and that kind of thing. When I was uh, really gearing myself towards that, uh, it, it's not relevant anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a... Here's it's the thing. Sad, I, I disagree but... to some degree. One yeah. of the most important things that I've learned in my life is that we all have to learn to learn. And part of learning to learn is learning how all things are always relevant if mm. we have the right perspective. 
I could see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Anything is useful. We just have to know how it's useful. And a lot of the time we yeah. don't. It's not the easiest thing in the world to see, like, studying a murder case and wonder why a goldfish flips over in a bowl somehow have to, something to do with each other. But maybe that connects in some light that, hey, maybe the fish flips like this. It triggers some thought. And now you, oh, my God. But maybe that's what solves this. And it had nothing really to do with the fish flipping over in a bowl. But it made you think of something just because you remembered the fish flipping in the bowl. And now it became relevant because that random abstract other information then fit into the murder case, even if it had nothing to do with the murder case. That same idea applies to everything. You can just, it's a matter of perspective and how you use any existing information and how you flip it over and look at it from different angles until you're like, this is how that applies. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree with you. Um, for uh, a big part of my collegiate career, I was uh, reinvestigating. Uh, Michael Crichton did a translation of a certain text that became Eaters of the Dead, uh, where he talks about this bear clan that uh, there's a war waging between them and uh, these uh, early medieval persons. And uh, that, that the tribalism between these two cultures and they're both emulating natural entities, bears versus, you know, this and that. And um, I, I, I think like, you know, in my day to day life, this has no relevancy whatsoever. But when I talk about like the social structure, when I set up a panel for Comic Fest or something like that, I'm like, look. I know I'm going to be dealing with people who have aligned themselves with this ideology and who think that this is their persona because they've defined themselves by these books that they read or these shows that they watch and this and this and that. And I have to sort of crack into that, uh, not so much in the way that they do in Eaters of the Dead, where they're actually like invading, but I have to sort of crack into that ideology. I have to like access that mental pathway that uh, sets up tribalism. And tribalism is really set up throughout, uh, from the human desire for belonging. Yes. We want to belong. Uh, now, that's, to a that group. blows my goddamn uh, mind. Tribalism astounds me. Because I don't fucking, like, yeah. I get that people need it, and it comes from way down the line. And it's like, we need mm -hmm. to sort of fit in in order to survive. I get it. Like, if I'm alone in the jungle and a freaking lion comes out, I'm going to die. But if there's 50 of us and I'm alone in the jungle, there's a 1 in 50 chance one of us dies. And there's also half chance we kill it and we got food. I get the, sure. the root of the thing, but it's been so long that it's like... Yeah. Why hasn't that worked its way out? Why are people even when aware of the fact that they're behaving almost in a tribal fashion? Why are we still doing it? Why don't we still... try to... I don't know. It's so foreign to me because I don't care about fitting in. I don't care what people think yeah. about me. But then I have this artificial sort of charisma and approach that... Even if I don't try, I'm always easily fitting in, which is a weird place to be in because I don't care about it. It's just a weird, weird phenomenon that I do not truly... Like, I get the root of it, but I don't understand why it's still there. I I find myself in that same situation, um, that you intellectually realize the value of belonging to certain groups, but you yourself are kind of like... It's like in high school, I was relegated to a group of certain people who I had nothing in common with, but hey, we're all fat, hey, we all have acne, hey, we're all ugly, so we need to band together. And it's like, at the time, yes, we did. But do I maintain contact with those people later in life at 39 years old? No, I really don't, because we didn't have anything in common. 
But do I understand kind of that mentality that sets up that sort of uh, social situation, that kind of thing? Yeah, I do. I, 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 I guess I understand people who are like, you know, we don't belong, but we don't belong for the same reasons because people don't approve of how we look. Or people don't approve of how we behave. That's so people weird. Because yeah. it's like, we're different together. We're alone mm-hmm. together. It's yeah. like, but, what yeah. the fuck are you? You're just on some, it's the same shit, but different. And for the very early part of my career, if you go back through my Instagram and stuff like that, um, I tried very hard to look like the cool tomboy. Like, hey, I'm the cool tomboy. I'm not like the other girls kind of thing. And it's like, you know what? I... I don't know what the other girls are because I'm just doing my own thing. Guys, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, Maybe I am like the other girls. Maybe I'm being too much like the other girls here, but not enough like the other girls there. And I'm making people uncomfortable. And I'm not trying to. It's just like I'm trying to live my authentic life. And uh, we're, we're sort of even in geek culture. Like you have these people who are like, hey, you're not who I thought you were. And it's like, well, I'm. I, very early on in my career when I was doing comic books, I used to very, I, I tried very hard to be the cool tomboy and I've never been that kind of person. I've always been kind of like hyper feminine, very Dita Von Tees, very burlesque, very crazy makeup and crazy dress and that kind of stuff. And, uh, that's just what I do. And, uh, that's what's natural for me. That's what makes me feel good and happy. And other people, if they don't, hey, more power to you. But, you know, that's not me. But in the geek culture, it was kind of like, if you're a real geek, you don't care about makeup. You don't care about your weight. You don't go to the gym. And it's like, well, why not? My goodness, exactly. That's so Here's the thing. They, so. It goes back to that. Like, even if they cast us out and we came together through sheer necessity, we've slowly developed rules and a system that now anybody else yeah. who gets a cast out of their group, now you have to work to get into this group. But wait, I thought this group right. was for people who just got cast out. It was. Now it's this other monster. And this happens with everything. It's like, again, the, the whole, the, the goth kid problem. It's yes, be exactly. different. Like the rest of us. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, if you don't dress this black enough, and if you don't listen to this kind of music, and if you're not, like, writing poetry and drinking coffee at, like, four o'clock in the morning, you're clearly not one of us. And it's like, what the fuck? That, that was always my problem. (laughs) I was, I was one of the goth kids when I was younger, uh, which was fine when we're going to, like, Rocky Horror Picture and show and stuff like that. You know, I, I, I'm goth enough for that. But then uh, the fact that I have to be at work at 7 a.m. in the morning the next day and I can't stay up till all hours of the night and I can't drink coffee past like 12 a.m. and that kind of stuff. They're just like, oh, well, who do you think you are? It's just like, I I don't know a person who (laughs) has to experience the world on a different level. And uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Everybody has to fit between uh, you left two different lines to draw two other lines and then stand in the middle of those anyways. That's what people do. Mm -hmm. They're like, you know, I'm different. I'm not going to stand between those two lines. And then they go ahead and chalk two different lines. And it's like, but I'm gonna stand in the middle of these two. It's like, what the fuck is the point then? Why didn't you stay in the original two fucking lines? Yeah, just exist. Just yeah. And enjoy existence as you are. And yeah, just wander. But... <laughs> Why do we need to stand in a line? Just wander. 
wherever it yeah. wherever you might land whatever squiggly your way through everything you don't have to fucking walk straight guy. but it's a it's that tribalism shit that somehow mm. it doesn't work its way out and it should have by now it totally should have but we seem to have this obsession with holding on to that tribalism and i don't know I why was, I was, no i was talking about it today with um uh, something silly, well, I see as silly, and I hope uh, other people can understand where I'm coming from. When uh, we're talking about, like, The Little Mermaid, everybody's up in arms because they're casting a black actress as The Little Mermaid in the live-action movie. Yeah. And it's like, oh my god, who cares? But then at the same time, it's like, don't black women deserve, like, a character who's actually written with them in mind and who isn't just, like, flipped and like, oh, now you're black. See, not even that, because this problem goes uh, uh, much deeper, which falls into the we 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 feel we have the right to censor art, like Uh we have control Uh of somebody else's thing, and the the what I go to in my head immediately in a situation like The Little Mermaid is yeah. You know, that that's not uh, uh my little mer. that's not the mermaid I grew up with. And it's like, you're totally right. This is a different creator making his version of it. It's a hundred, you're a yeah. 100% right. It is not the same character. This is a, it's a new different, little mermaid. Yeah, yeah, it's a different fucking character. Why do you need your already existing character done again? Yeah, they, they're not going away. They're not disappearing. Yeah. Just because of the fact that somebody made a new version. And I think that's so strange. They they had that to a lesser extent. I'm a, I'm a big uh, Harry Potter fan. And um, when they, they came up with new illustrations for the Harry Potter books, uh, and they had new Snape, who didn't look like old Snape, who didn't look like Alan Rickman, who is, my goodness, I, I adore Alan Rickman with all of my heart. But also, Snape was supposed to be 31 years old in the in the story. <laughs> He was supposed to be 31 years old. Jesus Christ. Yeah, Alan Rickman was not. And, you know, that changes the character significantly. And Alan Rickman was beautiful and amazing. And I will be very honest with you. Alan Rickman is my crush. Like, the only man besides my husband who I could ever, like, feel romantic feelings towards. But uh, at the same time, it's like he's not really the embodiment of the character. So why not let another illustrator just like read this and draw a new character? Because Alan Rickman's not disappearing. Those movies still exist. Exactly. Why are you so upset? Not e- not only that, but even if you are upset, why the why is everybody? You know, we're gonna boycott. We'll, we'll make a petition. We'll do this. We're, we're gonna riot. We're gonna do what? Why do you feel you have the right to no. influence somebody else's creativity? No, no. Just let let it evolve and become what it is. If and you don't like it, don't that, watch it. Yeah. Just if you really are that unhappy with the casting of this actress, I, I forget the actress's name and I feel terrible. But uh, if you were so unhappy with this actress being cast, then don't watch the movie. If you're so unhappy with Will Smith being cast as the genie, then don't watch the movie. But, you know, for the rest of us, let us experience this and let us say, like, oh, something new. And I think every, like we were talking about Sherlock Holmes earlier, if we froze Sherlock Holmes at, uh, you know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's vision of it, and uh, and, and he honestly... At the point, William Gillette was the uh, stage actor who portrayed Sir uh, Sherlock Holmes. And um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle said, 
I don't care what happens to him. Let him get married. Let him have children. Whatever. That's fine. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wrote those stories when he was dealing with his wife who was uh, sick and uh, heading towards death. And there was no argument about the fact that she was going to be dead. And that's a horrible thing to deal with. And he said he wrote the story between two men because he didn't want to deal with a female interference because he thought it would be too much for him to deal with. And it's just like, you know, that's a story that was written at a certain point in his life. And it's amazing that it's been reinvented so many times, that it's touched so many generations, but it's been changed every single time. And why can't we accept that every yeah. time it's changed, it's taken on the flavor of the culture? Yeah, it's, 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 it's necessary that we allow things to evolve. We want to keep everything in the past with, with mm. too much persistence. We really, really, really are trying to hold on to things seemingly forever the way that they've been and it's like how realistic really is that yeah yeah and i think it's because everybody needs to see something and say like oh god that represents me and that's so special and it's like but but you're not special <laughs> yeah none it, of us are we're all the same shit at the end of the yeah, day you're not special <laughs> But it's uh, the human psyche is crazy like that. We all have this thing going back to what you said. There's sort of this identity mm -hmm. that maybe you listen to a thing. Maybe you, you you listen to certain music, you dress a certain way, you watch certain movies, you read certain books, you hang out at certain locations and you think these behaviors are you instead of you doing these behaviors. You think these behaviors are what make you. But it it, yeah. it ultimately goes down into the crisis that if we ask too many questions about the root nature of this we all land at the fact that there is almost no real identity there is no Not real really. identity we're made up of random shit that we think we are and when we question them away and nothing is left then what the fuck are we and we can't yeah. handle that people people yeah. can't handle that it's too much that everything is uncertain and that's sort of what yeah. gives root to things like religion and shit. You just need answers handed to you, whether they make sense or not. Fuck it. Somebody said it is this, and I'm going to just eat it, because I can't handle the uncertainty. There's too much uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, paganism versus early Christianity. And it's like, you know, both of them believe, in if they get right down to it, believe into these ideologies that cannot be proven by any means. You you can't find, like, a solid proof of them, but they want to believe that theirs is the right way. And every sign that comes down, oh, this person survived smallpox, so this person clearly was touched by God. And it's like, but, but why weren't they touched by, <laughs> you know, Freya or Odin or anybody else? Yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. Why does it have to be so. the, the exact interpretation that you just happen to come across why is it that your mm -hmm. initial thought had to be it why can't you not know the answer mm -hmm. and that's and something unbearable that's to people that's unbearable to people okay. well people people don't like uncertainty they like to feel like there's a certain level of control in their existence like uh, my mom is on chemotherapy right now she had uh stage four breast cancer which we later discovered was stage three because of errors made by the doctors and scanning which hooray but <laughs> just like and and i'm talking to all these people and like oh did your mom smoke yeah people who smoke and i'm like no my mom never smoked i'm sorry i i know that just like throws a wrench in the whole works of like what you were gonna say and the whole speech you were gonna deliver but she never smoked 
oh, did your mom take birth control? Because, like, totally, like, everybody who takes birth control pills, that just take their life in their hands. I'm like, no, my mom, like, never took birth control pills. She was one of those old school Catholics who, like, used the rhythm method. Purity. She never took birth yeah, control. she aimed at tor- total purity, and people can't seem to pin that down because they want, they want an yeah. answer. Yeah, and it's just like, you know what? This just happened to her. This was a horrible, ugly situation that has been disgusting and terrible in every way, and there's no good that's come out of it. But don't try to sit there and tell me that, like, it happened because A, B, C, and D. It didn't. It just, it just happened. And it was awful. And we're getting through it. And now she's a stage three, and... It's it's a very bizarre story. They did her PET scan, like they they do. They make you drink a radioactive fluid, and uh, it it tells you where all the cancer is inside of your body. Um, but then uh, they they had uh, oh like oh cancer's in your spine and your breast, and then they did an autopsy, and they're like, wait, there's no cancer in your spine, and it's like, well, do we believe a scan that was done, or do we believe somebody who physically went in there and took a sample from that body part? And so they had to do it again and again and again, and nobody believed it. And it's like, no, she just doesn't have cancer in her spine. She's actually stage three. Yeah. It hasn't metastasized. Yeah. And it's like, but people are so ready to believe like a scam that came out. And Yeah. Uh, uh, and, in and that, that, that thing that you're talking about right there is something yeah. uh, I've witnessed a lot, specifically mm-hmm. in, ironically, in the area of medicine. Which is that usually, and it's weird that it takes place like this, but uh, uh, religious people have this thing where they, you know, God this, God that, but then personal experience doesn't mean anything. The doctor's prescription does. And it's like, what the fuck do you mean? Oh, no, but he said this and he wrote it on the paper. And it's like, what about the doctors that tell you to use a natural remedy that'll cure it? But then they hand you because they know you're not going to do that. They still hand you a prescript with just, you know, this medication will stop the pain immediately, but then it'll come back. Or you can do this thing that'll stop it in a week, but you'll never have the pain again. And they'll sooner take the prescription because, you know, it's a solid, real thing versus... The delayed gratification means it's not working, it's not happening, or it's not real. Mm. And so the not mm. knowing leads us to that same mentality, which is who cares what the experience is? Nobody's going to believe you because the doctor said a thing. Right, right. And isn't that so funny that, like, we trust somebody else's, else's experience over our own experience? We say, like, look, this worked for me, and this made it stop hurting, this made it go away, but... Uh, apparently this person has, you know, precedence. They, their, their intelligence is superior to mine. Yeah. Even though they've never experienced what I've experienced. So we have to go with their ruling rather than my rule. And, and in some situations, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like, if I'm going to go in for brain surgery, I'm not going to go for somebody who's like, you know, I feel you don't really have a brain tumor. I feel we could just, like, meditate this way. I'm not going to go for that. But I'm going to go for somebody who actually has the experience. But then at the same time, it's kind of like, why Why do we decide that one intelligence is superior to another type of intelligence? That's... I have no idea. It's <laughs> fucking weird, isn't it? Like yeah. it's, it's real odd because it's not just uh, – th- that's just us kind of coming down on – because we're being restrictive about intelligence in general there. We're, we, Absolutely. There's, let's say somebody with athletic intelligence, right? 
sports and things like that. Why do we think that concrete, not necessarily factual, but experience-based, subjectively experience-based, quote, concrete intelligence is superior to anything else you could come across? It's more intelligent than physical intelligence, than athletic intelligence, than emotional intelligence, than abstract. But why? Based on what are we making these judgment calls that tell us one type is more or less than any other type? But and, yeah, there's, there's no, no root to any of it. Any of it. Just convention that's been set up in front of us is uh, where we're like, oh, well, these are the intellectual people. These are the people who history has deemed as like they put in the more effort and they're the more intellectual. And so we must trust in their judgment. And it's like for everything now. Exactly. For everything, we're just going to whatever they say, that's what it is always and forever for the rest of eternity. That doesn't really make sense to me because everybody's allowed to be wrong. And there's no way you know everything. No, no. But we'll eat it like people do. And that's why it's so important. Um, and we're, we're losing it to a degree in this, uh, environment where we have, uh, where we rely upon like, uh, digital personages, like, uh, the, the digital contribution of another person into my life and that kind of thing. We're losing so much of like, um, you know, each person has their own experiences that they're bringing to the table and their own intelligence that they're bringing to the table. And whereas that should be valuable and that should be meaningful to each person, it's not. We're like, well, you know, but you're not a PhD or you don't really understand this. It's like, well, I understand it in a different way than you do. But I I guess if you're going to decide that this is the end all be all. No, I don't have that understanding. And I actually find that completely fascinating because we we glorify the college university experience we think mm-hmm. that is the most successful a human being can be but look at some of the most successful people in the world who've never fucking they didn't even finish high school they happen to have practical hands-on experience to prove that completely wrong yet we yeah. still hold this high regard but again that's conditioning i think entirely yeah. that's conditioning because that's a, a an idea and an image that's pushed forward by the universities mm-hmm. and the colleges themselves because those are businesses ultimately. Sure, sure. It's like, oh, these are the smart people. These are the people you can really depend on yep. in your real desperate situation. And it's like, okay, but I'll look at like the Felicity Huffman situation where, uh, or uh, Lori Loughlin where they paid for their children to be put into a certain institution despite the fact that they were people of lesser means who had worked much harder, who had tried to get better grades, who did not have the financial contributions that their parents could make to a university. And uh, those people were rejected in favor of these people. And now they're being put to trial. But how many people skirted through that system before that was discovered? And uh, pe- people are just like, oh, well, you know, these people paid for their way into this institution. They paid this for their... This brings up one of the big problems that we miss as a whole society, as a planet, yeah. as a species. And it comes down to 
it's a different level of brainwashing, but it's brainwashing ultimately, which is the rich people think they've got it figured out. You know, I can pay to put my kid in this school, but you're being tricked by the school the way the poor people is being tricked by like welfare or some shit. Yeah. They're going and falling into that trap. You've been tricked into thinking, if I give this business all my money that I've earned through all my hard work, my kids are going to have this fantastic, but then why do you need to pay them so much? Why is the money their priority? Yeah. Yeah. Why is that what they're after? Exactly. If they're really trying to educate minds. And yeah, it's, uh, there's a giant people. blanket that people seem to completely miss that everybody's being tricked. It doesn't matter where your financial line lands. Somebody's trying to trick you for what you've got or what you know or where you are or what you could provide. If you're poor, it's they terrible. want you to provide the labor. But if you're rich, they want you to give in the money. It doesn't matter. You're being tricked by somebody. Somebody's trying to take advantage at all times. It's just how it works. Mm -hmm. And people mm -hmm. think, you know... uh Poor rich bastards, they don't know anything. They don't have family connections. Oh, but they have all the money. So, wait, do you hate them or do you feel sorry for them? Oh, poor, poor bastards. You know, they don't have any of the money, but they got all the people around them. So, do you hate them or do you love them? But it's like everybody has a different struggle. Everybody has somebody mm -hmm. preying on them. Everybody has – everybody is on the food chain no matter yeah. what. And there's oh, nobody absolutely. at the top of the food chain. No, not not in our social hierarchy. Unfortunately. No, we exist would, in a yeah. giant Ouroboros. You know the snake mm -hmm. that's eating itself. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the yeah. entire visualization of life as a cycle. It is everybody is after somebody, and everybody is everybody. So you're after yourself. You think they're different than me, but those are just people. They might have different uh upbringing or have more money or have more poverty or have bigger families or smaller families or be raised underwater or on a different planet who cares right. they're still the just people sure one of the things i've noticed um i don't have children of my own but we have uh seven nieces and two nephews and one of the things i've noticed is as a child when i was young and my husband was young we didn't have people who really reflected uh, the way that we thought or uh, how we believed or what we thought was important in life. We had to turn to our parents. And if we didn't believe the way that our parents did, then we were like, oh, well, you're wrong. You're, you're wrong. But for a very long period in human history, uh, people were raised multi-generational people in one house, in one cave, what have you. Um, and so you or you had uh, the you know, the influence of people in your own culture coming in and saying like, oh, well, I am, you know, a fishmonger and your parents are A, B, C, and D. Your, marriage are carriage, your parents are carriage drivers. Maybe you're not meant for that. Maybe you're meant for this. And uh, we, we had this idea, this sort of like influence of the culture that came in. And uh, what I'm noticing with my nieces and nephews is like, no, you, you don't think like your mom and dad. And that's not a bad thing. You think more kind of like the way we think. And we're here to help you along with that mindset. We're here to help you along with that thought process. And it doesn't mean your parents are wrong. It just means that your parents have a different way of thinking than you do. And that you were meant for a different role in society than your parents were meant for. Man, that so. is 100% where we are all at. Where we can't believe another person thinks differently. That's... Yeah. We're all astounded by that right now. 
Well, take take a pill and you'll fix yourself. You'll 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 think like me. Isn't that how it works? <laughs> yeah, the second you're a little bit different, yeah. hey, you can take this medication. Never mind the fact yeah. that you got to pay for it and the fact that we're pressuring you to take it, even if you don't necessarily need it. But you know, believe, trust us, take it, and you will be normal yeah. like everyone else. A a very good friend of mine, uh, his mother just passed away. And people were talking about like, oh, well, you need to go back on your medication. You need to do A, B, C, and D. You need to take this drug. And it's like, shouldn't he be sad, though? Exactly. Is it, is it really What's so the big deal? <laughs> What's the big he deal? Sad. <laughs> eventually, yeah. eventually, we might hit the, uh, the, the threshold. There's a couple of – I forgot the name of the story, but there's a story uh, – the portray is sort of the future where you are obligated to always be happy, and when you are not, you are imprisoned, so that you don't oh, cause uh, unhappiness. Brave New World has something similar to the, what was the name uh, of it? I think I, that was it. Brave, Brave, Brave New World. It's, it might be that might be it. I'm not entirely sure, but it sounds familiar. It was yeah. old fucking story, but it was it definitely has that idea that eventually we're gonna hit this reality where if you aren't happy you're or at least faking it if you're not successfully faking happiness you have the potential to make somebody else unhappy and then that's contagious yeah. and if we experience unhappiness we'll collapse as a society or whatever the fuck they think is going to happen and so you must yeah. be separated from the population to not be contagious happiness is performative it's something that you do as a benefit for other people not something that you're experiencing yourself yes it's no longer there we go i was trying cool. to make this right. mic disappear so that i can be closer to this without oh yeah uh, i'm always trying to do that uh i've shown you my franken mic before yes so, yes yeah Snowball with to... a lapel mic duct tape to it. I was so. actually thinking about it earlier when I was like, man, this mic annoys me. <laughs> the fact that I'm just, I'm trying to figure out how to put it the right way. But then I thought about, let me use that arm and I could just hide it right here in front. And that could be directly in front of the mic. Perfect. Yeah. I, I'm trying to get to be a uh, big girl podcaster where I have like the arm and the like cool mic and everything. Because I've been in a couple people's studios and I'm, I have studio envy. I'm like, aw. I wish that like that's what I had for a setup, but oh no, right we now... <laughs> uh, we, we began our life as uh, spoiled individuals and took advantage of that, so we happened to jump mm -hmm. right into the heavy side right at the beginning. So we got lucky yeah. in that aspect. Yeah. Now my my uh, podcasting career actually began when I was working in. Um, I got I was a graphic designer, but I got jumped into a position where I had to do custom home shows where I would go fly out to different regions of the United States and I had to hire my own crew to film these kind of home and garden show, kind of like um, sort of specials about uh, like different custom home builders. And yeah, I, yeah. And, and, and so I didn't really know what I was doing and my boss didn't know what he was doing, but he, he yelled at me an awful lot to make me believe that he knew what he was doing and I, I, I kind of had to learn how to do it on the fly. And uh, so I learned how to do it with the jankiest of equipment. And uh, so it's like a microphone that I, I purchased at, uh, like, I think Best Buy. And uh, just different stuff like that. And um, just kind of uh, everything's been like sort of like trying to glean from other people. Like, oh, is that what you do? Let's try that and see what happens. Like, yeah, that's like, pretty much what it is. You just try whatever comes through, whatever you think mm -hmm. about. And uh, what's the worst thing that could happen? You don't use the audio and you record something else. 
Exactly, exactly. You say like, hey, the audio didn't take. Let's do it again. And they're just like, <laughs> okay. Uh, I've uh, Luckily, we've gotten to a point with the editing that takes place that we can successfully remove problems like that. But it's just a matter of uh, adapting behaviors that yeah, allow you yeah. to stitch things together after you take something yeah. out. That's the most important part that I've learned. It's usually like, let's say you mess something up. Re- be- repeat it. Start that. Uh, rather than force your way through the word or the sentence, just repeat where you messed up and then continue. And then you can easily pull that out without having too much problem. So many times we do that for the podcast because, uh, as, as you know, I run a podcast that one is an audio drama and one is kind of an interview show that takes place in the same world as the audio drama. Yeah. But so many times when I interview people, um, they'll be like, oh, my God, what the fuck? I just messed up. And I'm just like, we're using that take, though. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love that take. <laughs> and that winds up being the take that goes through. So, but um, it, it just because it's the more authentic, like, uh, per- personage. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. More authentic representation of who they are. <laughs> Fair enough. I can see that. Uh, my yeah. my difference in that is entirely due to the fact that I, I like things to be about the string of thoughts rather than the individuals yes. involved. And small things like that, although fun and very genuine and real, takes away mm-hmm. from sort of the stream of thought. Because then we're like, oh, that was a funny moment. And then we pulled them out of the entire idea behind the discussion yeah. Or, yeah. or sort of the core Absolutely. concept that was being addressed. So I guess it's really yeah. ultimately about what it is it's knowing where your show is what you have to do for it yeah a lot of what we do is um i actually have a letter from high school and improvisational theater we used to do comedy sports and we used to go to different uh schools and we used to compete doing improv kind of like whose line is it anyway yeah and it's weird because i have very limited memory of this because that was almost 20 years ago um but uh yeah, and and that's kind of what I employ today when I do my uh, interviews with a lot of people. I bring on people who I'm like, hey, can you riff? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we can riff. And I'm just like, okay, cool, cool. That's what we're going to do. I mean, you give me the basis of a character, and I have some questions for that character, and you just give me your answers. And, you know, sometimes there's a lot of editing involved to make it funny and make it cohesive. Yeah. And sometimes... <laughs> But, um, yeah, it's it's just fun to hear that, like, uh, whole experience of the thought process. And it's it's an experience that only I really get to have because what I put out to the public, of course, I want to be reflective in a positive way of the people that I'm interviewing. Yes, performers, yes, yes, yes. And uh, myself. And uh, so, but, but just like uh, the very raw data that comes in from each conversation. And, uh, where, where one thing leads to another, and maybe we did a bit that was 30 minutes into it, like a four hour set. <laughs> and, um, the, we did this bit, and the bit was gold, but everything that came before that was absolute ridiculousness. But we had to go through that silliness and ridiculousness to get to that bit that was really, really good. And, 
Well, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Of... I, I experienced that yeah. a lot in which we go through, uh, on this show particularly, as we yeah. follow stream of thoughts and, and go down certain rabbit holes. And again, it's totally unfiltered, totally uncensored. Whatever we want to say is welcome. But that leads us to some places where sometimes they might not even be like... Again, I don't like... I'm not... I don't enjoy censorship. I am totally yeah. against it. But... With some of the guests, we've entered some realms of discussion that are sometimes unbelievably racist. But oh, yeah. obviously, sure. we don't mean to be racist. We're dissecting thoughts and we're reflecting things. The problem is getting the listener to come on us with that ride. And sometimes the lines connect in such a way where it might be the most offensive thing in the world. But how we got there is something easily followable by the listener. But sometimes it's so abstract that on the road to these things, we sort of break apart and the lines don't necessarily connect and we might lose people along the way. And when we finally get to the part that might be considered offensive, it could easily be taken as something offensive. And that's oh, yeah. where the questions are posed of, what do we do with this? How do we move yeah. around it without taking it out? How do I rearrange it? So that maybe the thoughts line up better and they can understand it more without, by default, censoring the guest or censoring myself. But maybe sometimes it's necessary because we went beyond the point of no return. I think, I think sometimes the people introduce that kind of censorship, that they tell you what they are, their boundaries and what they are willing to accept. And you're forced to work within this latticework that they've constructed for you. And I think one of the really early experiences that I've had with that was when I first went online as a writer and I was trying to, I was trying to publish my book and I got a lot of really beautiful reviews that said, this is wonderful work, but we don't exactly know what market to put this in. So yeah, good luck. But uh, I was starting to put it online, as you do as a writer. And uh, I had this one girl contact me who I knew from uh, kind of my elementary school to my high school days. And uh, she was the kind of person who, uh, if you're familiar with the term woke schooled, like uh, everything that you say is somehow Wrong. monstrously offensive yeah, to this Jesus person. Christ, like I'd say people. like, wow. You have two different color socks on? That's so crazy. And she'd be like, crazy? You know my mother has schizophrenia. And I'd be like, dude, like, I do know, because you introduce it into the conversation, like, every 25 minutes. But we weren't talking about that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, because of that, and I feel bad because, like, I, I say we were kids, but at the time we were, like, 10 and 11 years old. And there was a woman who wandered around the town that I was in, uh, Encinitas in California, who wore like a plague doctor mask. And she used to tell people that she was the, um, she was the town, um, exorcist and that kind of thing. And because we'd never seen a crazy person before and we had somebody who was constantly reminding us that their mother was crazy, somehow it got locked in our minds that this woman in the plague mask and that this girl whose mother she was constantly talking about whenever we said, whoa, that's crazy. Whoa, that's weird. That kind of thing was. And so somehow got locked in our minds that that was her mom. And 
I don't know that we ever like knew that definitively, but we, but uh, in later on in my life, in my uh, late twenties and thirties, um, when I had the website up and she contacted me, um, and I was using a character who was kind of based on that woman who I had known when I was younger, who walked around in the plague doctor mask and told people she was the town exorcist. Yeah. Um, of a suburban town. And I was, and this woman contacted me and I was like, oh, uh, I should probably like, you know, placate to you. I should probably be nice to you because, but I didn't even know that that was her mother. It, it probably wasn't. It was just that as children, we, that was a crazy person and we didn't understand what crazy was. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so I had this whole weird relationship with this girl who became kind of like this bizarre stalker in my life who followed me to uh events that like I went to with my friends and uh was sitting there going like actually I don't like that you're smoking tobacco because tobacco is so terrible for you and if you knew all the people who had died of tobacco you would just cry because of all the things and just going off on these weird tirades and it's like I never had a relationship with you I had a relationship with this characterization that we thought was your mother that was never probably your mother that was <laughs> and uh, but at the same time up until maybe 3 years ago she was uh sending me emails like 16 17 page emails where she's like ridiculing me and telling me all these terrible things about myself and uh why I'm never going to be successful and I sit aside and I'm looking at it and I'm going like, you know, I'm actually, I have a published podcast. I have a published comic book. I have things that I put out there. What do you have other than the fact that you see somebody else who's further along in their career and you want to tear them down? And uh, we were kind of just, uh, we, we were sort of sitting there and we we're just like, you know what, this, this person we've allowed this person to have way more control over our life than we should have because we were being polite and because but we were see here's the thing to... uh, the yeah. the person in the public eye who's uh most recently dealt with this in in uh the very form you're talking about is actually Eminem yeah where yeah, he, in, yeah. in one of his exacts uh one of his lyrics I'm, I'm paraphrasing here but he says like your talent is ultimately judging my talent like that's your skill that's what you offer to the world judging somebody else you don't bring anything to the table. You don't, in his case, you don't rap. You don't do this. You don't do that. Your whole offer to the world is judging what I do. That's your skill. And sort of that's what you're living with right now. But if we go back to what we were talking about earlier, that's what the fucking like the creator of uh, uh, the Little Mermaid is going through. It's like, okay, yeah. I made something original and different. What did you do? Your job is to judge my original and different? That's right. your offer to this interaction? That's the best you've got for me? To judge what I did? Okay, m make a counter-argument then. Go, you, you make the next Little Mermaid. But of course yeah, they couldn't, because yeah. what the fuck can they do? Nothing. No, they can't contribute their own you know, input. They can't contribute their own story. Nope. They just want to sit there and offer criticism. And that really requires i don't know if you've ever seen ratatouille but there's a great line in it at the end where he he talks about like as a critic we risk very little yeah you know we we the other people who are actually like in in the situation of ratatouille putting out the recipes and like creating these like dishes and that kind of thing or in writing 
creating a story, creating a universe, they're actually risking something, but somebody's sitting there going like, it's shit. That's not a huge risk. It's like, well, you're going to have a lot of people who jump behind you on that bandwagon just because they want somebody to tear down. Yeah, Because they... The problem ultimately is we are in a society where everything is too easy. We've come to the point where there's no real challenge. There's no real threat. So we over-dramatize everything. And something as simple as how how many presidents have argued with random people around the world? A bunch. Why are we making such a big deal out of Trump doing the same thing? And when he did it with the the, the Asian guy, King Jong-un or whatever, like, Okay, yeah. why were we oh nukes and that we got like a hundred million times the amount of nukes they have, and we've had problems with these people forever, but we're we're everything's too easy, so you know the world is ending ah because an argument, but it's the same argument we've always had. you know the fucking world, and the same thing happens with all these with all the art. Oh yeah, this uh fucking Sonic, Sonic look like shit. <laughs> you gotta fucking change yeah. it. We will riot. It's like. Let him look however the fuck the creator wanted him to look. Did you can right. you make a CG character that looks at least like shit? No, you fucking yeah, can't. Then yeah. why are you judging? Yeah, why why is it such an issue? And it, it's it's just silly that we get so hung up on because so so many of the movies that I watched when I was younger, like when I watch the special effects nowadays, I'm like, oh, that's that's terrible. <laughs> I can clearly see the strings, or I can clearly see that was a puppet, that kind of thing. It's like. But but the story was meaningful to me at the time, and it meant something to me. And uh, it's just like, and yeah, you're judging Sonic based on the cartoon character that existed for a period of time. And why can't Sonic be its own thing? Yeah, like, why, why can Sonic can't the CG Sonic be its own? God damn it, said it's a fucking freak. Look at this shit. It does look, but who cares, right? Like, let's be fair. If I saw this movie, I would have fucking nightmares. Look at this freak of nature. But it's like, who cares? Maybe this is the new horror version of Sonic. It's like, why? Like you're saying, if we look back at the the horrible things that were made in in our youth, we're looking at like, what, fucking gremlins? That looks like shit. All of that looks like fucking shit. We weren't rioting and trying to get fucking remake these freaks. It's like, no, who the fuck cares? It looks like shit, but it was entertaining. Like, we didn't argue about fucking, look at this. What the fuck is this? That looks like crap, but we didn't care. It was just some, the Ninja Turtles. Those movies are so popular. And those movies are so garbage. It's like, you can't, that does not age well. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, and a lot of it is just like your. I was talking to my husband today about. Uh, do you remember GI Joe? Right? Yes. Uh, you're you're of the age group. Um, so Cobra Commander. I was telling him, in my mind, Cobra Commander is the one who has the metal shield and the hood, but doesn't actually have the full metal head. That's Destro. Yeah. Um, and I was talking about. Uh, I don't know when this like became my head cannon. But that Cobra Commander is a woman, and Cobra Commander disguised herself because she didn't want other people to know that she was a woman, and she wanted to rise among the ranks as an equal, but she didn't want to rise the way that, like, Empress did, you know, where Empress is sexy and Empress is hot, and of course Empress is going to get what she wants. She wants to know that she, she can make her it way purely to the top. on her. Yeah. She wants to know she can purely make it on the fact that she is, like, intelligent enough and that she has the strategic skill to 
plan for battles and things like that. Yeah. And I was like, and that's never been a part of G.I. Joe. And for some, and I didn't really think about it until the new G.I. Joe movies came out like several years ago. And I was thinking like, for some reason in my head, Cobra Commander has always been a woman. And Cobra Commander talks in a voice like, ah, we're going to do this to the Joe. Yes, oh my god, that's actually what I was thinking about when you're talking about Cobra Commander, the way she sounds. I'm like, mm-hmm. I I didn't remember yeah. her, but that's so, you're saying that's specifically from the movies. Yeah, and, and Cobra Commander was never a woman. Okay, because yeah, heart, in my head, I, I remembered a guy. <laughs> yeah, but in my heart and my head, Cobra Commander is a woman who, and probably because like, uh, that that relates to me, and it, it it's meaningful to me more than it's meaningful to anybody else. Cobra Commander's a woman. Fascinating. So, You're telling yeah. me that the lack of identity made you project sort of yeah. attributes onto this faceless thing. You're like, okay, she sounds like that because she's disguising her voice too, but it's a woman in there. Yeah, yeah, and and it was in my in my mind. I was Cobra Commander. I love Cobra Commander. She's my favorite character. But then people are like, no, Cobra Commander's not a woman. I'm like, bitch, yes, Cobra Commander's a woman. So, But see, but, so the, the, there was a live action movie in which this happened? Or there was a cartoon movie in which this happened? Or where, where was it that this took there, place? There's a live action movie that happened. And I, I have not seen it all the way through. Yeah. Um, my my uh, husband is, um, he, he's, he's ex-military. And stuff like that. So a lot of times when we watch that kind of stuff, it's hard for him because he's like, oh, God, we'd never get away with that. <laughs> and, and so we, we usually don't watch that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, but they're, they're uh, ex-airborne rangers, which is exactly what he was. He was an airborne ranger. An airborne and, ranger. What the fuck? What branch of the military is that? Uh, that is Army. Army? And uh, he was an airborne ranger, which means that he parachuted into locations. And that was during Desert Storm. Oh, I see. Desert Storm. That's, yeah. uh... Yeah. Like the six-month war, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There well, to be fair, that's one of the craziest moments. It was a short war because it was a tactical masterpiece. That's yeah, really was- what happened behind that. That's where military started to... Sh- I mean, for something so short, why is it so famous and known? It's because it is yeah. the... One of the most perfectly executed works of military tactical uh, processes. This was a perfect, perfectly organized execution. Now, they forced us to look through that in fucking history class because of how phenomenal that was. That it was like the shit hit the fan and we just kind of swooped in. It was crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Can you imagine having been there and he was actually there? He was actually there and I was in sixth grade. And so we did not know each other at the time, I should say. Otherwise, people are going to think that there was some grooming going on or something. Yeah, can you imagine? But, um, he's, he scooped you up during the Gulf War. You were overseas. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, it's 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 just like the stuff that he tells me about. It's like, that's insane. And nobody remembers it that way. They remember it kind of like, yeah, well, Kuwait oil fields got caught on fire and it was all in a war for oil and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but there were people there. There were people on the yes. ground. Too. That's the whole yeah. difference. It, it, people think of the motivation behind it. And don't get me wrong. 95% of wars are bullshit. It's all it's oh, it's a business. It's absolutely. money. But yeah. how we execute, how we perform 
sometimes it's worth acknowledging that some things were done right. For example, specifically yeah. the, the, the thing that Obama got done with the uh, Navy SEALs for uh, uh, Osama bin Laden. That is ah, yeah. tactical genius. That was perfection. That was flawless. That was so well executed. And it's it's a it's a really strange situation now. I I don't pretend to be like uh, any kind of general or have any kind of understanding of, despite my name, uh, of how warfare should be conducted and stuff like that. Because I really do think that you you have to really be trained in how that that is executed and the correct way to respond to a certain situation and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a really kind of an interesting situation. <laughs> I, I couldn't do it. I respect anybody who, who goes and joins the military and partakes, but you have to do it against your values. And that I don't, because mm-hmm. it's weird. You, you might join, you know, I want to protect my country, but then when you finally see what your orders are, I've never heard of a soldier that comes back and is like, yeah, we did it for the right reasons. There was like, no. It was kind of bullshit, and I sort of regret joining. I don't regret being a part of the team. I don't regret the camaraderie. I don't regret our power structure. I regret the people who told our power structure what to yeah. do. My husband was from uh, Michigan, and I know that uh, Michael Moore has talked about like a lot of young men in Michigan uh, because there's a lot of uh, low socioeconomic standing in, in that uh, state. That uh, a lot of people are in situations where they don't think they can escape. They don't think that they can get the education that they need. So they go into the military because they're like, well, then I can, when I come out after four years, I can go into, you know, college and I can have a life and I can do A, B, C, and D. Uh, unless there's a war. And that happened to be the situation that he was in. Now he survived and he was able to go to college, but there's a lot of men who didn't. And, uh, so not to be too mauled in about it or anything, but um, I mean, that that's kind of the situation that uh, he was in was that one where it was uh, an act of desperation. It wasn't that he was such a patriot yeah. or that he believed so strongly in this cause. It but was, there was that a benefit he to was it. so desperate that he went in and he did what he had to do. And uh, that the fact that we are okay with mobilizing people in that kind of a situation. And I hope I'm not offending anybody who's active military or anything like that. But fuck them. Uh, fuck them. Well, fuck them. Oh, fuck them. If they're a pit, if their feelings are hurt, fuck them. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I understand that. But um, yeah, it's 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 just that uh, it, it was. Uh, the mobilization of people who were young. Uh, my husband entered at uh, 17, about to turn 18, and uh, were desperate. And uh, they went through and they did what they had to do. Yeah. And uh, that the government was more than happy to have warm bodies. That is yeah. a tragedy of uh, the, the military. They will take uh, young blood is more agile, more responsive blood, and less reasonable to uh, question your orders. So it's sort of ideal yeah. to have somebody with agility and energy, and they won't gonna, they, they fear authority, so they'll just do whatever the fuck you tell them to. But um, that being said, that seems to be the most common reason people join. I don't know of any person who's like, I want to fight because I'm a patriot. I've come across three different kinds of people. That joined the military specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is uh, a perfect example is a doctor I know. He joined uh, when he was younger because it offered him the opportunity for college. That seems to be the most common. You know, I don't, they, they pay for my college and I, I end up with all the resources I need and that great. It opened doors. He became a doctor. Mm-hmm. Then we have 
uh, option number two, which is the sort of maniac who's like, I'm going to live a video game and fucking pop off all the yeah. heads, shoot everybody. I'm not going to do it in society because, you know, I'm a civil human being, but I'm going to grab a gun and then live Rambo life. And they sadly learn that that's not how it works. And then finally, the third option, which is people who seem to have no aim in their lives and they can't stick to jobs and they can't uh, find uh, order and they can't, they they put themselves in a situation where they're forced to develop some skill or learn how yeah. to follow orders and not quit or be broken down and be rebuilt or something changes because of the environment of the military that helps them change. So this is the three most common. I, I, I don't know a single individual that went into the military because I am patriotic and I'm fighting for my country. No, they yeah. developed that mentality later and not even about the country particularly, but about my team, about my unit, about the comrades, about us. We are here to defend one another. We are here to help one another. But they're not like, I'm here for my country. Like nobody's there for their country. The country sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, my husband was probably the type that was uh, in there for, uh, you know, I want to be able to go to college after this. I want to have a life beyond this and that kind of thing. Um, I was not in the military, but I, I can definitely say when, when you're talking about that kind of mindset, a lot of the jobs I took were just like, you know what? We sit there, we do what we have to do, and uh, we get through this so <laughs> that we can just go on to the next we can take what we need to learn from this situation and, move and we forward. can go on to the because i know that i'm not going to last very long in this position um like i i think i've said earlier i'm I'm neuroatypical and that's why i worked with a lot of the kids in that population yeah um and and i have a really hard uh hard time i'm not an unfriendly person but uh a lot of the things i say are a little weird for people. <laughs> yeah, well, fuck people. Yeah. People, here's the thing. Yeah. People want normality, and I say, fuck it, throw the wrench in the mix and let them feel uncomfortable, because at the end of the day, that discomfort is going to make them think, and if they think, they're suddenly more aware, and if they're more aware, they're more engaged, and then you're suddenly talking to a real person. So fuck them. That's, that's kind of how I feel about it, is that uh, we should be a population that... Uh, We've gotten lazy, and I think a lot of times when I was working in special education, the medication, like, if I can give you a medication to make you shut the fuck up, then I'm going to give it to you. And it's like, no, 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 no. They're talking because they're unhappy, because something's yes. wrong, because they're trying to tell you that they need help. And when you give them something to make them be quiet, that's terrible. Fuck, you know and where you that know, hurts the most, and it kills me? It's yeah. the the wave of medication created for kids who allegedly have ADD. Yes. But it's like, maybe, maybe you dumb motherfuckers. Oh, God, maybe. It's not that the kid has a problem. Isn't the fucking teacher's job to catch the goddamn child's attention in the first place? Exactly. My brother was one of those people. Um, he is uh, an engineer for aerospace right now, and I can't say where because it's kind of classified. But um, he, he works in the aerospace industry right now, and he's a very intelligent man uh, in his mid-30s. And uh, when he was younger, uh, they got really upset with him because he would uh, cross his legs in a way that 
put his foot in the aisle and people potentially could trip on it. And how ridiculous is that? Or he would not organize things in the way that people wanted to see organized. And and it's just like, you know, that's maybe <laughs> a little bit. Are we being maybe a little bit too stringent with what we'll allow as far as yeah. like. Hell yeah. Do Don't deviate. Really? Don't deviate yeah. in any way. You deviate in any way. You are fucking the system up. Even if you're not fucking the system up, you're fucking the system up because you're deviating. There, do- there doesn't need yeah. to be a single repercussion. It doesn't need to affect the world outside of the people who witness the deviation. And they could go home and forget about it 10 minutes later. For that moment of deviation, you did something different and that deserves punishing. That's a crazy mentality, yeah. but that's where we are. And that's, that's where he was, was he was, uh, and, uh, it was unfortunate because, uh, when we were going through, we had the track system, which was, uh, basically set up for when, instead of doing a traditional track system, there was certain systems, like you got certain vacations at this point and certain vacations at that point. And, uh, all the tracks, A, B, C, and D were the tracks. And all those tracks went at different times so that the teachers weren't overworked. And we were on track C. And track C got the longer vacation, I think, during the springtime as opposed to during the summer and that kind of thing. Yeah. So if all your kids are on track C, it's easier to negotiate. Um, but uh, he was in that track system and then I was also in that track system. And then you have somebody like me who's total chaotic neutral if you play D&D. And uh, I'm just like chaos all over the place. And, uh, the teacher that I had who diagnosed him as being, um, ADHD, um, used to flip my desk upside down and make me sit on it all day for the rest of the day because I couldn't keep things organized. But it's like, but they are organized. They're just not organized in the way that you decided were organized. Yeah. You know? It's, <laughs> they, I, I find uh, uh, completely deviating from that story that we were just that you were just talking about. I got fascinated yeah. by the fact that you used the the Dungeons and Dragons uh, description <laughs> method to describe yourself. Now, I would also describe myself as chaotic neutral. I would because yeah. I don't feel like I align with anything, but I like to throw a fucking wrench everywhere and see what happens. Because fuck it. But I find that yeah. totally fascinating. Now you're a D and D player. <laughs> I am since, uh, goodness, uh, sophomore year of high school was when I first discovered it. My mom introduced me to it when I was very young, but I didn't really have the understanding of like what had to be done. Uh, and so the first actual games that I played were sophomore year of high school and, uh, with uh, my DM, Andy Kwan, uh, and he was amazing. And, uh, we, we used to play those games and then we played, uh, an, another series of games. Andy Kwan's were more a medieval universe. My friend, uh, Chaz, they were based in the Dune universe, if you're familiar in with. The Dune um, universe? That's uh, a weird one. Yeah. And so they were based in the Dune universe and that kind of thing. And, uh, so we. You know what? I never even it. considered the fact that it could be played anywhere other than a medieval setting. Yeah. That never crossed my mind that it makes so much sense now that you say it. Yeah. And we, we loved it because we were obsessed with, uh, in high school, and it's weird, we were obsessed with Dune, Frank Herbert. We loved it. And uh, it was before they had all the prequels and the sequels to Dune. Um, but we, we just loved that universe, and we loved all the weirdness of it. We loved uh, the, um, oh my goodness, that movie with the, 
the cat milking and the David Lynch and all the craziness that was going on in that. We we just loved everything about it, that this universe was so bizarre and that these people existed in the world where computers had become so powerful they had to shut them down and they trained basically autistic people to become computers for them and that these people became the Mentats and so much is demanded of them that they drink the juice of snafu to make their minds go at such a rate, which is like what I would consider like a highly caffeinated beverage, you know, like basically like meth or something. And, and they're drinking this so that their minds can function at this rate that's demanded of them by all the people who are in this society around them. And we just loved everything about that universe and everything about the craziness of it. And we had this whole universe in D&D. That now, how do you, you don't find it, uh, now I can get how the dungeon master has fun. I, I can yeah. see that. You get to build the world. But yeah. being the player, I imagine as being a fucking nightmare that I could never tolerate. Which is, you just now, got, you're just being fucked left and right by anything that happens. And just eat it, and hopefully you don't die by the end of this quest. And you're not gonna die, but it sucks the whole way through, because the whole point is to get shafted by the dungeon master. That was, I, I, I think it was, there was a certain masochistic aspect to it. Um, and I, I think I was, basically at this point, if I can admit it to, to uh, everybody out there, I was pretty much in love with the dungeon master. So uh, there was this weird masochistic aspect where it was like, oh, yes, master, do what you must to me, and that kind of thing. And the other girl who was playing was kind of just like, oh, <laughs> whatever, I'm doing what whatever. What universe it's are you fun. living in in which so. some dude is playing, some yeah. Dungeon Dragons DM is yeah. playing with two chicks on the opposite end? What's going yeah. on here? Well, for, first of all, the the DM was a masochist. So, was a sadist, I should say. Yes, he's a sadist um, with two masochistic sadist, uh, ladies with, in the... With uh, two young masochists who were just like, yay! And that's it? It was the three of you? There was no other... I didn't realize that was the dynamic when I was at that age. Yeah. Um, I was just like, yay! I'm so happy to be involved with something that my pseudo-boyfriend is doing. You know, all the and, other uh, guys that guy knows thought he was like God. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really creepy. Uh, when I think back on it, like a lot of the relationships I had when I was younger. I was about uh, to ask about that. Is he? Was he particularly older? He was. No, he was the same age as me, but he was friends with a lot of people who uh were much older. And oh my goodness, this is getting into some. Fun, fun territory. Anyway, um, when when I was uh, 17 years old, he kind of sold me off to his 22, 23-year-old friend because he wanted to be able to go fire fenfowls out in the desert with this guy. And he was like, hey, so I have this friend who kind of meets up with all of your like prerequisites. She's got super long hair and she's kind of medieval looking and she's this and this and that and kind of got pawned off onto this guy um and <laughs> it was there's a lot weird. of sketch value going on here oh uh, i mean like absolutely when i was younger i i uh really did not have i was so trusting and so like loving of everybody who like entered into my life Horrible. and everybody who wanted to yeah i was just the most like innocent naive loving creature 
and <laughs> and then I went through this phase where I was this really cynical, angry, bitter old monster, and and now I'm getting to a point where I'm like, you know what? Balance. Not everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you're I'm, I'm, you're achieving balance finally. I'm I'm I at, at late thirties, early forties. I'm achieving balance at, finally. But uh, it, it even I even get thrown off. Like nowadays, there was uh, the last comic fest that I did. There was this guy, and every every person I meet who's a cosplayer, I tell them like, "Oh, you look spectacular! You look wonderful! You look great!" Because it takes a lot of confidence to pull off, you know, a cosplay costume. So I don't really care what you look like. You're putting yourself out there. Here's the thing: I disagree with doing so, that. I would say, yeah. be completely honest. You don't have to like everything, and you could praise them on the effort and still say, "But it looks like shit." Like you can, you could. Sure. You don't have to. Literally comment that, but you don't have to add the, you look awesome. You don't have to, like, fake the extra. I, I do agree with you. I, I do, actually. Because I, a lot of times there's just, like, you know, I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, but at, at this point, I was just kind of like, hey, cool, you came out and you, you just put yourself all out there and that's awesome and I love it. And uh, take a picture with me. We'll put it on my Instagram. And, uh, this one guy came over. And he was in this suit with the skinny tie, and I was thinking he was a cosplayer, like some some character that I didn't know. But I was like, "Hey, cool! Let's take a picture. We'll put it on Instagram, whatever, man." And uh, then we were hanging out later, and he came to the table with me and my husband. He just wanted to sit with us, and he kept asking us questions. And I was like, "I mean, you know, whatever. Like, hey, it's cool if you want to sit with us. We're just hanging out, listening to music, and doing our thing." Uh, but then he started inviting us to his house and inviting us into his life. And he started sending me these weird texts like, hey, next time you come over, don't dress up so much and don't wear any perfume. But it was in a group chat. So it was like very embarrassing to me. Yeah. It was like, uh, well, you could have just said that to me personally, but you had to say it. So I was humiliated. I would have felt everybody. weird about that personally, too. It's like, why yeah. are you so concerned about what I'm wearing, bro? Yeah, and I was like, well, what do you want me to wear? Like, pajamas? I'm just like, I, 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 I'm the kind of person who, I always wear dresses just because that's how I'm comfortable, but I don't care how other people, if other people come over to my house wearing pajamas or bare feet or whatever, I'm like, oh, whatever, it's fine. Do your thing. <laughs> I don't really care. It doesn't affect me. But then he was like saying that kind of stuff, and I was like, okay, that's weird. But uh, so me and my husband started coming over because I felt uncomfortable coming over by myself because I was like, this guy's like starting to get kind of creepy uncle on me. Yeah, so... yeah, that's definitely the vibe I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so my husband would come over and he'd be like, you two are too dressed up. I don't like that. And I was just like, well, maybe you could go fuck yourself. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. So we stopped coming over, but he invited us to be, he invited me at least to be part of his, um, anthology, which wasn't really an anthology. It was a bunch of authors who, uh, he had a bunch of books, uh, that, uh, a bunch of short stories that were written by female science fiction authors that were over 55 years old. Yeah. And so they were of an age to where nobody's really going to contest them legally. And so he's like, you could write an introduction for them. And you could, you know, put your own spin on it. So the one he assigned me was about a man who had a brain transplant because he was disabled. 
and he didn't want to be disabled anymore, so he had his brain transplanted into an abled body. And being a person who is um, neuroatypical, that killed me inside, because that's like a soft suicide. That's like saying, the way that I'm made is bad, so I'm going to fix myself and make myself so that everybody else likes me, and I'm going to be good, and all the problems that I have are like going to go away, because everybody else will like me this way. And I, I couldn't write it that way. So I started looking over the story and I realized that the author, who is a female, was writing for a character that was presumably male, but she was using neutral pronouns. And I was like, oh, that's way more interesting to, like, jump in on that angle, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, because she's using neutral pronouns. She's a woman writing in 1957. And she she's actually talking about how she actually has some tactical knowledge and she actually has some understanding of the military. And that's way more cool. So he approved my piece actually as early as uh, April of this year, 2019. And then very recently, last month, in fact, he said, oh, um, actually, we're going to dismiss your piece from our book, which was due to be published uh, one week beforehand. Yeah. Uh, he said, we're going to dismiss your piece from a, the book because we want a real disabled author to write the piece. What the and fuck? I was like, wow, you know, a real disabled author would look at the story and probably be really horrified at like the, the mindset of somebody writing in 1957 who's able bodied as opposed to somebody who's actually lived with a disability that's impacted everything that they've done. From, you know, birth, from kindergarten, from every interaction that they've had in their entire life, having to explain why they think the way they do, why they look the way they do, why they behave the way they do. Um, and I was like, that's the most ableist thing I've ever heard. But if that's really where you want to go. And I explained, like, the reason I didn't do this was because I think it's the soft suicide of a character and because I find it offensive. But if that's how you want to go. But it turned out that the author who was bringing in, who he was communicating the whole time he had approved my piece, yeah, was actually um, really heavily into reviewing Yuri, which is girl-on-girl uh, -girl anime porn. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she, she writes a whole bunch of reviews about like, ooh, Sailor Moon has some naughty bits and that kind of thing. And um, she, that's, that's her whole career. Thing. <laughs> and he writes, uh, him and his wife write a whole bunch of like, Yuri porn fanfics that they would like to get published. And I was like, well, you know, if that's the way you want to go, I get it. But I don't agree with it. But I get it. And if that's where you want to, <laughs> you know, and, and so uh, if, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. It's just I'm going to make sure that everybody knows this story and everybody knows where you are <laughs> coming <up>. from. <laughs> The motivations yeah. people have behind things are ridiculous sometimes, but it's like yeah. at least, at least your interactions with them didn't escalate to something weird because it seemed like that was ultimately where it was heading one way or another. That's where, it, that's where it felt, and I even said to my husband a couple of times that I was like, I feel weird that I know about like what kind of pornography this person looks at. Is that weird or is that something that men just talk about? Because none of my male friends have ever like sat there and be like, here's, dude, I really love fisting. Here, you know, here's like, where yeah. I will, I will say that, that I fall on that. 
if he made it clear that he's that type of person from the start rather than built up to it in a weird kind of sketchy way, if it came mm-hmm. off that that was naturally just who he was and he approaches you guys and he just sometimes says things that are off and he's like, oh, my bad, you know, this is how I just talk or whatever. That's different than his approach. If he's a guy who's just naturally, oh, yeah, I would fuck her like this or I would do, oh, man, I thought, what kind of porn do you like? Like, if he was naturally like that, then it it gives off a different energy than this guy who's like weaseling and like hmm what what are you wearing what are you gonna wear you know um the, right his, the, well, his approach is what was weird. That's what's weird about it is that we're just hanging out and then his wife will throw something in about like ooh I love Sailor Uranus and I love Sailor Pluto and I think they're so hot and I actually like gave them a picture that I had drawn of like Sailor Uranus and Sailor Pluto, who are two Sailor Scouts from the Sailor Moon universe, who are lesbian lovers. And when it was brought uh, through Deke for an American audience, they're made into cousins. They're just very affectionate cousins. Um, And, you know, that's not cool that they changed that character. But then at the same time, it's kind of like, I feel weird that like, I know that (laughs) I know enough to give this person you know, the, and it was always kind of like funny and like on the fringe, but at the same time, kind of like, uh, I, and we, we really hit a point where we were, he would have these get togethers every Sunday. And I'm obviously a podcaster and a comic book artist and, a, uh, you know, uh, and I do, uh, interviews and stuff like that where I can't sacrifice like four hours every Sunday to, sit around and just hang out with people yeah so and i was kind of like i i can't do this anymore and there was a lot of guilt that got into it a lot of texts that like well oh if you hate us all so much and i was like no i it i never said that i hated you guys i just said that it's it's manipulation that's all that's going on there he's trying to manipulate the emotions but that's what i mean that's so sketchy had he been more chill all the same events that took place would have been less weird it's sort yeah. of the approach if it's like hey man you know we uh, i like my house to be casual or whatever if you guys can come dress like that but it's the fact that he's vague and indirect and he, it's like you, the the undertones are very visible yeah. that it's like he wants you to yeah. look a certain way for him not for some kind of feel he's going for and uh, the fact that you know what kind of porn he likes isn't just a dude who overshares it's a dude who wants you to be into what he's into but it's like why right and it's like the difference in those things is from cool weird guy with no boundaries to sketchy guy with no boundaries and it's like you don't want the sketchy guy with no boundaries and that that's where we kind of like settled at like i don't know if we want to work with this person anymore and uh they were involved for a period of time with uh the um creeping wave radio which is the audio drama that i run yeah and i was just like i can't trust this person to make choices that are going to be beneficial to the group as opposed to beneficial for themselves i need this person to you know be a team player and it seems like this person is just like looking at themselves as this weird like maverick rebel that does whatever they feel like and other people like happen to like wander in and out of their existence what i'll say as as a philosophical uh, way to approach situations and people of this nature are for life in general you you feel comfortable around the people you're around but don't feel comfortable in the situations you are in 
Because oh, if the yeah, situation is comfortable, then you're complacent. But if the people are uncomfortable, you might be in danger. But if the people sure. are comfortable, you're in a safe environment. And if the situation is uncomfortable, then you have obstacles and accomplishments to make. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, I, I felt like in some ways it was this really accomplish a really big accomplishment as a person who's neuroatypical um, to say, like, you know what? I'm not crazy. This is not okay, <laughs> and I'm I'm not going to do this anymore, and this is not fun for me, and I'm not, you know, because, like, I go to parties, and I'm neuroatypical, and uh, I don't, I'm not immediately like, woo, let's hang out, let's smoke pot, let's drink, let's do this. I'm not immediately, like, enveloped into, like, the experience that a lot of my friends are. Yeah. But... But at the same time, I can, like, enjoy a conversation. I can sit down and hang out with somebody. I can have fun. I'm the same way. But this way. was something so different that I was like, this is, there's no fun for this. It's like, I'm constantly, like, on my guard going, like, ooh, okay, <laughs> all right, you, you love porn, that's cool, that kind of thing. And it's... I don't have a problem with people loving porn. Love what you love. Yeah, but... love what it's, it's, it's entirely, I, I get what you mean. It's entirely based off of the yeah. energy he was putting out with it. It's a, yeah. it's the example I give. It's, it's not a guy who is oversharing. It's a guy who makes that feel weird. And that's mm -hmm. the problem. If you're just oversharing and you're cool about it and I don't feel like you're plotting or you're malicious or you're like there's some, if I don't feel there's something off. Then fine, yeah, you're just yeah. weird guy who overshares. But the fact that he's a weird guy who overshares, or maybe doesn't overshare, but does specifically with you, and makes you feel uncomfortable in the way he does it, fuck that person. Right, right. And it was it was just weird and creepy. But uh, I mean, I'm still to this day having to kind of like validate. Like I I feel like uh for everybody else. And it, it's probably not terribly accurate, but for, I feel like I'm having to give like 120% when a lot of people are like just giving like a hundred, like maybe 95%. And I'm just like, I have to like analyze this and think like, is this normal? Is this okay? Or, <laughs> or is this weird? And people and, suck. People suck. That's yeah. just uh, where you have to land in life. People are garbage and you filter through it's. As a writer, you would know. You What do you do? You first yeah. put a bunch of words. You write garbage. You write all the bullshit that makes no sense and th oh, dumb shit. ideas you had and shit that's inconsistent and garbage that might be removed later. You make 100,000 words to publish 50,000 of them. But mm -hmm. you're going to find those 50,000 words within that 100,000 of pure garbage. And then after you find that 50,000, some of them are still garbage. But you got to understand that they just look garbage and you could work on them or change how you think of them. And then they're no longer garbage. That's people. People are a yeah. sea of garbage. And you filter through that sea of garbage. <laughs> and eventually you come across people who are like, oh, that's a cool person. But you got to, like, yeah. move a lot of garbage to the side. Oh, I, I totally agree. Like, a lot of people I've met initially have been like, you are crazy. But then the more I get to know them, I'm like, no, 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 you're you're not crazy. This makes sense. I, I like where you're going with this. See, crazy is what makes sense. It's the normal people you got to yeah. be scared of. Because normal isn't a mm -hmm. fucking thing. That's just somebody pretending. Crazy is just somebody being who they are. But normal is some other shit that somebody's already lying to you in their initial interaction. They are not who they oh, are because yeah. otherwise it would be weird as fuck. 
Oh, no, I, I always think that the people who are the scariest are the people who, like, down the line, like, be it whatever ideology, whatever political standing, they're like, I am a down-the-line Republican. And you're like, are you, though? Because, like, that seems, like, that strange be, yeah, that for, couldn't like, even be a, possible. mind to always think exactly what, like, my dad is a, is a Republican, and he is talking about, like, you know, Trump, what Trump represents is not the kind of Republicanism that I'm representing. It's, I, I represent small business, and my dad was a small business owner all the time we were growing up. He's like, I represent small business owners, and I represent, I, I've never, I don't hate Mexicans. I don't hate immigrants but here's what i'll say the easiest way to break that weird sort of mentality somebody like that would say is like what about two republicans who disagree yeah then what do you do about that that? you're republican across the board well these two republicans don't agree on one thought which one are you most republican for who do you stand for because this is one kind and that's the other you're both of these right right and and we were talking about it and i was like no i mean i've grown up with you i know what you think and I get it. I get where I don't necessarily agree, but I get where you're coming from. And yeah, I, I understand why you don't love, you know, certain ideologies. And it's, it's weird. Like you're saying, like two Republicans disagreeing, but like, no, you can't because you have to be part of this tribe. This is yeah. you. Oh this man, is full circle. That's totally, you're totally right. That's, that's totally yeah. what it is. It is tribalism at so. its most. I mean, that's what politics are. It's tribalism. Yeah. It's, it's religion. That's, uh, politics yeah. are religion. There's no fucking difference. Yeah. You're just not believing in a God. You're believing in a set of values or rules or whatever the fuck. Right. And ultimately, religion is the same shit. You just put a God behind where those values and rules came. But if you took out God and still had the values and rules, what is it? It's politics. A way to behave, a way to think. It's the same shit. Right. Anywho, before we get the fuck out of here, <laughs> let everybody know where they can find you. Yes. Um, actually, I just opened up a new website, uh, creepingwave.com, and that is for my audio drama, and my audio drama is kind of this fun, crazy universe that, uh, talks about, uh, a podcaster and uh, how they're in, sort of interloping into the, uh, paranormal realm has landed them into all sorts of bizarre situations with cryptids and, paranormal creatures and uh bizarre situations and then i also run the you mind which is the interview show that uh, my supposed character uh runs on that show oh my god i can see my face all big now <laughs> um but the interview show that my supposed character runs on uh the you mind uh, on the uh, creeping wave radio which takes place in the same universe but it is the supposed interview show it's very meta that uh this character has and a lot of the characters from the you mind will infiltrate into creeping wave but you can enjoy both as their own separate entities and uh they they're both kind of their own separate things but uh when you listen to them they kind of each contributes a little to the other one and uh it's it's kind of fun just to to have that uh but uh because audio the audio drama is uh, a collaborative piece and I'm not able to pay any of the people who are involved. Uh, we are only able to run for a set period of time. We'd like to make that longer, and we're slowly increasing it as we get a, a little further along. But uh, right now, we're we're not able to increase it beyond uh, too much more than like nine episodes or so. So we start a, a season on Halloween, and we kind of go for as long as we can, and then we sort of stop. 
But the You Mind is the interview show that consistently runs and kind of keeps interests alive and keeps interests up and keeps people engaged with that universe. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And it all started from a graphic novel series I wrote called uh, Lost Bread Comic. And that's lostbreadcomic.com. And you can go ahead and check that out. And uh, that is about my lucid dreams. And so lucid dreaming in the world of my uh, podcast actually has a significant role if you if you follow along with the the storyline the lucid dreaming is kind of how certain things from the past reveal themselves to characters and how characters kind of identify with who they used to be as opposed to who they were uh and it's it's kind of an interesting thing so there's the youmind.com then there is creepingwave.com and there is also lostbreadcomic.com. And on lostbreadcomic.com, we are also running a uh, breast cancer sort of fundraiser, an art fundraiser. My art is not everybody's cup of tea. I draw very surrealistic, very uh, Bosch meets Dolly. They kind are of amazing. Artwork. They are all amazing. It's 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 interesting stuff. I, I hope some of you enjoy it. Uh, if you don't, that's okay, too. I'm also going to be having, uh, I have some artists that are contributing. Um, one artist is, uh, Brit Mosaics and she is contributing some magnets that are going to be appearing on the site very shortly. And, uh, the, we've, we've got a whole bunch of different people because my mom has breast cancer right now. It's been a big hit for my family, but instead of, I, I'm a big fan of taking something heartbreaking and destructive and turning it into something that is like, you know, powerful. And meaningful to other people. And I'm like, you know what? Let's take this. Let's raise money for a charity. We're raising money for Shades of Pink right now, which is a charity in um, San Diego and also in Michigan, which is where my husband is from. And uh, they they help financially support people who cannot support themselves while they are on breast cancer therapy. So men and women who have breast cancer, men do get breast cancer as well. Um, who are on breast cancer therapy and who cannot afford that and whose families are being negatively affected by that. So we are contributing all the money that we make through those purchases that you make on anything that's uh, labeled through the breast cancer fund, uh, that uh, all that money is going to be going to this charity. And uh, that's our way of sort of turning it around and making it into something positive because I, I don't like to dwell on the negative. That's completely I, I that awesome. No, I think you're on the so. right track by, by turning negatives into positives. That's uh, something yeah. most of us should learn to do, but 99.99% of us never get there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's hard. It really goes against everything in your nature. My husband was raised in a very, um, what he calls a stoic German family. And uh, he said that it's everything his parents said about his artwork or about the way that he dressed or about his body was always like, oh, you're fat and you're disgusting. or Oh, that looks like trash. That doesn't look like what you were trying to draw. And he's like, he didn't realize till he was older. It's so much easier to find the ugliness and the negativity and everything than it is to Kinda like look good. at something and go yeah. like, okay, okay. I see what you're doing there. I see what you're doing there. And I like it. I, I enjoy, I enjoy this process. See, I love that. Doing. And not only that, yeah. I, I think that 
the, swinging in that direction too extremely is also a problem. If you only always oh, saw yeah. the positives, that's also terrible. I think the key to humanity, and it's actually the perfect place to leave this off, the key yeah. to humanity living not happy, but purposefully, because yes. happiness is fleeting. Purpose is ongoing and can give you happiness, and it also gives you misery, but you need the misery to get to the happy in the first place, so whatever. Yeah. So the the key to humanity living purposefully is balance just have balance in anything and everything you do so see the positive in negative situations and look for the negative in positive situations and try to always objectively stand in the middle just constantly improve and constantly work and build towards something yep. new so yeah we learn Whenever by doing you get to a point where you're too satisfied with what you're doing problem that's when you're that's a problem yeah. yes you yeah, not good. <laughs> the most successful people i've ever seen are people who still put what they did out and then find a million problems wrong with it and then they're like but on the next one that's not gonna happen and then they'll mm -hmm. solve all those problems and then again destroy their previous work or criticism and be like but all this shit is wrong, and on the next one, not gonna be the case. And that just means there's yeah. always a next one. We're always gonna fix it. We're always gonna take it to the next level. There's always a new, higher level to be achieved. I mean, that's the way to live. So, Otherwise, yeah. what are you here for? If you're not giving back, and if you're not improving, what the fuck else is there? What's the alternative? I do not know. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I highly appreciate yeah. you being here with us for this, uh... Lengthy so amount much. of time. You are fascinating to talk to. You you can oh, go for you. a while, man. That's awesome. It is great to, <laughs> to come across somebody who can talk definitely as much as I can. It is fascinating. I love to listen and I love to sort of understand people's minds Very and cool. their thoughts and their inner sort of workings, what makes them tick and their opinions. And I would have never known you were a D and D fan had you not used a specific kind of terminology. <laughs> So it's fascinating. Yep. Definitely appreciate you being here. And uh, if you ever have something that's going on and you need to come on and talk about it, let us know, man. We can definitely oh, absolutely. open the That'd doors. Be fun. I love it. I, I've been it. having a great time here. So well, I'm glad. I you love have. those kind of conversations where you can just kind of talk about like whatever like pops into your mind. Yes, and... it's a real yeah. mental exercise to have a conversation that isn't small talk but doesn't already have a defined structure. Right, right. That is something beautiful because exactly. you get to really understand the person because you see what things they connect, what they choose to talk about, where their mind decides to go, what the emphasis and the focus of their life through their word choice and their topic choice are. And that's fascinating because that's more depth than we get in society always lately. Yeah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's definitely why this is worth doing. And I appreciate you being here definitely 100%. So thank you very much for being here. Adios. Hey, bye. That conversation was crazy. What happened to you? Hey, I can't have an accent now. We started that with the fact that 
we can just jump in and out of accents. And I wanted to start this part with a different accents. Can you accent. continue with an accent? Damn, you're wondering if I can keep this entire section at the end of the show going with this accent. It's not even like this part of the show is even that long. And this is probably completely racist to all the Southerners. Is it? I don't know. Because who says this is even a black or white guy? I don't know. Because it's, it's an accent. Yeah. No, it shouldn't be. I it don't know. It shouldn't be racist. But then, uh, I guess because they're picturing that you're picturing a white guy? Is that how it's racist? Am I picturing I a white guy? <laughs> it's them picturing you picturing. Man, that's some fucked shit right there. Yes. It's like, you're judging what I might be thinking of. Yes. God damn, bro. You know how crazy that is? You're that's probably... ultimately what like we're doing when somebody says something and we're like, oh my god, that's offensive. But it's like, what if he wasn't thinking of anything offensive when he said it? Yeah. You're you're not judging what he said. You're judging what you think he's thinking what he said means to you. Yeah. I don't know Whoa. What's, what's wrong here, but yes, that's exactly Whoa. what's happening. Dude, we're not even judging the words. We're not judging the... We're judging somebody else's possible thoughts. Not the thoughts we know they're having. We're judging no our imagination of what's happening. Oh my god, yes, because we're not even it's judging not even their thoughts, like, really, because we don't no, have no access to no that. There's no way, yeah. We're judging our imagination of, of what, what their thoughts might be. Yep. What is wrong with us? Oh, dear God. Yes, that's life. Yeah, yeah, that's life summed up. We're... Uh, the planet Earth at this moment is just that's that's it summarized. It's people judging their their own imagination about somebody else's maybe thoughts yeah. about a thing they said that you didn't understand. Yeah, Full and like circle. the whole art thing is like it's not your imagination, or you're imagining what they're thinking of why they selected what was it? A, a yeah, black? yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, like the Little Mermaid. You're like you're mermaid. trying to whitewash. You're trying to blackwash everything. And it's like maybe like, he just had a different vision for the Little Mermaid. Yeah, you have no idea why he chose what he chose or she or whatever. But you're imagining. Yeah, you're us. judging your imagination of his thoughts. Yeah, which is well, he's doing it for this reason. There's nothing in life that could assure you <laughs> what he's thinking. That's so impossible. I don't know. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. That's what. That's what's happening. Oh my gosh! I hope that changes everyone's life. <laughs> Man, it's totally <laughs> not. Uh, no. Basically, no. anybody who's doing that is going to listen to this and be like, "You don't know what you're talking about," and then they're going to stop like, and walk how away. How dare you judge me? Yeah. <laughs> how dare you judge my thoughts about things? It's like your thoughts are the only thing that's judging anybody else. So there's nothing else I could judge but your thoughts. Because that's the only thing we know. You're being judgmental. Yeah. That's yeah. the only <laughs> for sure part in this entire mess. Mm -hmm. You're being judgmental. The end. The end. But, oh my gosh. We need to start a D&D with her. Yeah, man. You know what? She blew my mind. Yeah. I never, like, I always, I was like, nah, probably not. Like, it would be cool. I like the idea of building a world and telling a story, but it's like, why don't we just make it in a fucking sci-fi setting? Fucking duh. Duh. Yeah. What? You'd have an alien chasing us or something. Okay. Yes. <laughs> not just that. We can go, because it has to be ongoing. Mm-hmm. We can Star Trek that shit. Yes, we can. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> so much possibilities. We can be more losers, and the losers playing this shit. Yeah. Happily. Yeah. 
Oh, fuck, bro. Yes. Let's do it. Damn. She changed my life. Yes. I appreciate her as a human even more now. Awesome. I thought I was a loser before. But we're just beginning. This is just the start. Uh, doors have opened through which I will walk and end up in places I didn't know existed. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be really nerdy. But it's cool. Not even nerd. I mean, Star Trek, I guess, is the alternative, which is the nerdy equivalent of a space adventure. Because Star Wars is the geek. You're okay. a geek if you like Star Wars. Star Trek is like more. If you're playing D and D, are you geek? Or is that a oh nerd my game? God. I don't know. We're doing a nerdy activity about a I nerdy think that's theme. A no, I think that's a geeky thing. A geeky thing. But here's the thing. I think the Star Trek is a good middle ground. Because it's like both geeky and intelligent. It's not just geeky. Yeah. So I think it's like the middle ground of a nerd and a geek. Ba Star Trek is balance. Yes. Balance. Because you can be fanning out about it. Mm -hmm. But you can also be like, wow, that's clever that they use that part of real science. Mm-hmm. Or on his decisions on everything. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, logically speaking, correct. Not all the time, obviously, as a fucking impossible considering it was speculating on the future, but it's speculating yeah. on existing science of the time it was made. Mm -hmm. And then the natural evolution of that. So, hey, who knows? Mm -hmm. That's how you you see this. We can have a conversation like this, and it'd be mad loser. We're gonna we're deeper. We're going deeper. We're gonna make our own Star Trek oh, world. Yes, I don't. Oh, ruining our lives, and Ooh. it's great. And you can't be if you're the game master, though. You can't be one of the pilots or what's the leader called? The captain. The captain. Yeah, I want to be the captain of the ship. You want to be the captain of I the wanna ship. I want to wear a red suit. We need to. Well. Does the captain wear a red suit? Does every captain have to wear a red no, suit? I don't no, Jane no, no. Way and Picard did. I just like the red suit. Because you can be a captain through any. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I know Data. Yellow. Yeah, he was yeah. a captain at Yellow, and I, it's because he was an engineer who and, was um, captain. Borg? Org? Borg? I don't know his name. <laughs> Jordy? No, the wolf guy. The Worf? werewolf. Worf. Worf. Worf's was red. It was red. It was yellow. It was yellow, yeah. Wait, why is combat yellow? Why is combat yellow and engineering yellow? Because command is no, red. No, then maybe we got it wrong. And blue no. is medical and science. No, wait. Is Worf... Maybe Worf was red. No, Worf was yellow. Worf was, was yellow. yellow. But I don't know why, because I know that... Uh, the medics are blue? Yeah, I guess leadership roles go red. Okay, and everything else is I guess, pretty much uh, yellow? I guess science roles go blue, because any scientist is blue. Okay, yeah. And then, I guess practical roles I hope we have this right are yellow Go, look at that shit yeah, Go let's look it just up. look real quickly at... let's find find out what's going on with this gold is command actually it was green but 1960s cameras were shitty <laughs> fair enough okay. blue was medical and science red was security and engineering oh okay so we're talking no wait no we'll scroll down that's okay. the original that's the original okay okay what era is this go up uh during the original series motion pictures set in the night in the 20 okay so white was command gold was engineering green was medical and science gray was operations blackish what the fuck is operation because they had the most boring jobs of all so it's they're the ones just sitting there Oh, they're the ones just doing random shit that other people tell them to do. Yeah. Where okay. is Picard's time? Is this Go up. Let's read that. 
intro right there. The By generation? the time the next generation Starfleet had uh, decommissioned the monster maroons <laughs> in favor of some skin tight spandex because of reasons. Whoever's <laughs> writing this is great. Colors returned to the simplified three shades of yesteryear with a new solution for the red shirt problem. They were red command. Thanks to Khan, Red was still associated with imminent death by nearly everybody in the fleet, so they gave it to command staff instead, the people least expected to die on a mission because of their importance. Gold. Security and engineering operations. Boom. That's why they're both okay. Yes. They're both operations, yeah. which is what I was discussing as the practical things, the yeah. things that are immediately applicable. If you're doing, if you're doing a mission, immediately applicable is a person who's going to defend you. Yeah. If you're on the ship, immediate, immediately applicable are the people who are going to defend it, mm -hmm. and the people who are going to control all the facilities and all the amenities. But command is something that is But some leaders don't have to wear red, though. No, because you're confusing command for rank. Striker oh, okay. <laughs> is command. Yes. Picard was like Riker. Okay. And not That's all why of them he's have red. to do it like that. Well, no. Because Data didn't have to be like Riker. He got promoted to command. I mean, not to command, to captain. He got to promoted captain. to captain. Captain and command are not the yeah. same. Com okay. Exactly. Commanders yes. are the people who boss and yes. they're the management squad. Mm -hmm. And so they do red. Okay, I guess. And it. so they, yeah. the, they manage tactical things. Even if there's fighters, they tell the fighters what to do. And they're just basically the boss. While Picard came from that, Data did not. He was an engineer. He was gold. Exactly. So he just moved straight up. Okay, cool. And yes. blue, of course, is medical. Exactly. And, and science. you could be a captain who's in blue, but you came out through science, which seems to be the least likely. Yeah. Yeah. I, but you think there are any that are There blue? might be. There might be captains that are. So fascinating. That mm -hmm. was a, a sad, sad deep dive <sighs> into fucking the color schemes of... This is what I mean, bro. The color schemes of Star Trek. Jesus. Yep. Oh, oh my it's gosh. gonna get so much worse, so and we're nerdy. gonna now that we know we're gonna pick the outfits we want, and yeah. it's gonna be based on the next generation because it was the best one. I'm gonna be in red. Oh, you're gonna be commanded. I'm gonna. No, just I'm gonna be... take an online quiz about which one I should be in, and then pick that. But one. But we gotta find like a really good one. <laughs> okay. We can't just pick one of those like BuzzFeed equivalents. <laughs> That's exactly what like, I want to do. No, like, we're gonna find like a legit like like the Harry Potter test equivalent. Okay. Cool. And then we're going to be like, where do I belong? Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Find out for real. Okay. To be fair, I think I'm going to end up in command. And I think you're going to end up in like science or some shit. Boo. Science. Boom. Anywho, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode, that talk we had and with uh, Napoleon Doom and that super loser deep dive we just did into yep. Star Trek. All of that is relevant one way or another. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, if you want to hear more about, uh, what Napoleon Doom is up to, what she's doing, her podcast, her shows, uh, things she's supporting, you can find Napoleon Doom's, uh, podcast and ventures on creepingwave.com that you can also find that podcast presumably on all the podcast airwaves to get caught up on those stories. You can also find, uh, 
the Umind podcast at theumind.com. That's the letter U, mind.com. And you can uh, see her stories and her comics at lostbreadcomic.com, as well as if you're interested in supporting for breast cancer uh, the way this lady is doing in her life, you can join her on that quest to fight breast cancer uh, by funding research at uh, shadesofpinkfoundation.org. Additionally, if you want to hear more from us and our goodies, you can find the Just Conversation podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Just Convo Pod. And you can find the podcast on our official website, GreatThoughts.info, on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Yes, and remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show, and we'll read them out like we did at the start. Yes, and let someone know that anyone. Tell yes. everyone about us. Yeah, totally. If you share with people uh, the podcast, not just this episode, but in general, there there's something for everyone here. If you don't believe me, read comments. You'll be like, whoa, they say all the time there's something for everyone here. Yes. It's because there's something for trust everyone them. here. Yeah, trust the comments. Jump in, look around, and find there's something for you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, look around, share. Uh, there's Again, there's something for everybody. You, you will find something for every human you know in our list of episodes feel free to share it please do help us get noticed and uh be part of the reason we succeed you succeed with us you would have been the, the reason we have moved up yes this has been the just conversation podcast take nothing personal and thanks for listening bye, bye. letting them know now <laughs> we're at the library if you didn't know, if now you know. <laughs> all right they have, cassette tapes. they have cassette tapes at the that's oh my god you had such an opportunity with that one Bro, as soon as we got to cassette tapes like it makes total sense we're at the library to because, because the Freemasons have all the fight all the leftover fight club cassettes yes libraries hoard all this kind of shit the Just Conversation podcast is hosted by Christina Clazo and Jack Thomas, produced by Lynn Taylor, and published by Great Thoughts Info, social media managed by Amber Black.